Hey, Team Egos, I have a very important question for you. Do you want to see some titties? No, not those titties. I'm talking about titties. That's right. Titties is a loose leaf tea company that donates 5% of monthly sales to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation to support research and awareness programs. With fun blends like It's Lit Fam, Sips Tea, and Big Yikes, Titties has the breast tea guaranteed. Or you're funny back. If you like to laugh, want to support a great cause, and sip some delicious tea, then you are going to love titties. Plus, listeners of the Team Egos podcast can also get 20% off their first order with promo code TEAMIGOS. So go check out their titties by visiting titties.com, that's T-I-T-T-E-A-S.com, and get your hands on some titties today. Welcome to the Team Egos Podcast, uncovering the health benefits of tea for an active life. My name is Vince Lapalusa, your guide on this tea podcast journey and fellow tea lover. Today, I talked with Tim Borowski. Tim is a myokinesthetic practitioner and healthcare entrepreneur. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry, Tim will enlighten you. Together, we unlock the amazing benefits of tea, herbs, and supplements and dig deep into the mind-body connection and, often, the missing links of recovery. Check out Tim's work on Instagram at axon underscore movement, that's A-X-O-N underscore M-V-M-T, or at axon-movement.com, A-X-O-N-movement.com. Grab your tea and enjoy the show. Tim, welcome to the Team Egos Podcast. Vince, thank you. Happy to be here. Dude, so excited, so happy. It's been a little bit since we've uh, actually had some time to sit down and talk, and I think the last time was when we were doing jujitsu in that barn yeah. during, during, during fight, COVID. Fight, fight Club. Fight Club. Yeah, exactly. That was that was fun. That was cool. That was a uh, shout out Dave Scora. He's uh, always the one who just kind of brings us to like random places to do jujitsu. Seriously. Yeah. What a guy just welcomes people in and you know he's there to bring in the newbies and Mm -hmm. take you from introductory all the way to go hard you know exactly he's always there so yeah yeah man how'd you like the uh the warriors boost it's good i'm feeling it kick in really you know i'm feeling it kick in a little bit i mean i'm amped up today man so yeah i'm gonna we're gonna get you get you rolling here. yeah you sound like you had a beautiful morning you had like you woke up for the sunrise, then you did jujitsu. I mean, I don't know, did you do anything before? Yeah, went for a, went for a little walk, yeah, so uh, woke up with the sun, got outside to set the circadian rhythm, and then uh, went to went to spar for an hour and a half, fasted, which we got to talk about that, because I know you're we do. fasting. Yeah. Um, yeah, had some good rolls, things got a little testy, and then, uh, you know, went home and slammed a ribeye, and here we are. Slammed a ribeye, <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. Just living the tea life. That's a, yes. That's that's what I'm I'm trying to enlighten people, or show people that tea is, uh, it's a little bit more than just this beautiful beverage we're drinking, it's it's, it's a lifestyle, and I think that's kind of, you're kind of doing it, it uh, from what I saw. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I had like a very lazy morning, woke up at 10, <laughs> rolled out of bed, 
walked around, cleaned up my house, then you, then you showed up. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are doing this. So I'm actually going to crack this open too. I want to try this. Yeah. Shout out. This is Liquid Death Mountain Water. Yeah, Liquid Death Mountain Water. So yeah, what's this about? So their whole, you know, their whole story is, is about death. Their motto is death to plastic. And mm. so it really, it's just water in a can. It's a 16 ounce can. And, right. um, you know, the, their, their catch is that their can is infinitely recyclable. So they're, um, they put a lot of money into trying to eliminate plastic consumption okay. and uh, working on pollution and things like that. I like that. Yeah. Plus, yeah. like I was telling you, it gives you the feel that it, you know, feels like you're drinking a beer, even if you're, if you're on the, right on the sober train. Yeah. Say, so. Yeah. Yeah. For, I mean, people should, should check out this can. It's actually, it's very like craft beer. Esque. Yeah, it looks like the the um, font and then like the crazy goblin ghoul guy on it. Yeah, yeah, it's very very like craft beer esque. So that's kind of cool. It's a cool alternative if if you're looking to definitely be social. Um, have you heard of those people? This just like reminds me. There is like a water sommelier. Like, have you heard of people like that? I'm glad you're talking about this because I've been kind of, you know, this podcast has been on my mind this week. I started for, for your listeners. First of all, I'm not, I'm not a tea drinker. I drink a ton of coffee, but I'm open to tea. I'm excited to, to try the tea yeah. and I'm here, but um, I am a little bit of a water snob myself. I love you water. Are. So I won't say I'm a connoisseur of water, yeah. but, but I definitely, one of the questions I wanted to run by you was, you know, what kind of water do you use or what? what role does water play in mm. the process of tea as well? Because, you know, a lot of people think water is just water, but it, it, it's to- not. totally not true, right? Yeah. Totally not true. You have a right. different, different textures, different vibrational frequency that the water carries, you know. So, um, yeah, don't know where I was going with that. But <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, I wanted to talk water, so I'm glad dude, we're talking. No, so let's water. talk water. Let's talk water. Yeah, I was like, yeah, let's, let's just dive into it. So, I mean, what I, what I, what I was talking about was the... There's like these people out here that are strictly sommeliers of water because like you're saying, there's different textures, you get different minerals, you get some that are naturally carbonated, some that just, wherever like, from like Iceland, water is different, but it's a glacier maybe, and the water you get in here in the Midwest, very different. So you find these people and like one guy, he had this whole, I think it was with he, there was like an interview with two chains or something, and he was oh, like yeah. showing showing off like all these different the bottles of water. Shit. The most, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And he like pulls out this beautiful briefcase, and in it, it's like a hundred thousand dollars for this experience to drink this bottle of water that has like the yeah. cap on it is like diamond studded, and I suppose like when you just drink it, it just tastes like oh, the freshest, sure. just most pure water, which. Wild, like, like yeah, you don't think too much about yeah. it because water is H two O. Exactly, that's what you think of. Exactly. But I don't know. So I mean, yeah. What questions do you do have? Do you have a preference on when you drink when you go for a good water? What right. what are you drinking usually? Yeah, well, I mean, when it comes to like bottled water, I t- I stay away from all bottled water for the most part. I don't. Be- I've heard rumors. I don't. And I don't know the truth or the validity behind it, but I've heard rumors that, like, especially, like, the, the big brand uh, water bottles are just, like, tap water basically yeah. put into yeah. into your water bottle. So it's, like, it's no different than what you're drinking at home, but, yeah, and and water bottles are, just like, like, this whole liquid death thing. It's just, 
It's ridiculous. Like the the conception of a water bottle, I I guess I understand where it came from, but at the same time, it's a it's one of those like inventions that never needed to be a thing, yeah. in my opinion. But that's regardless of the fact. So yeah, a little that's a tangent. Whole no, that's a whole nother. Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's Which, that's a little. We thing. can go anywhere we want. Yeah, but, exactly. But uh, yeah, so I mean, let's talk about a few of the the major uh, types of water that most people. Are sure, to. yeah, enlightenment. Uh, and again, not an expert, but everybody's sort of spring water, right? Right. And then there's glacial waters, um, and then there's purified water, mm-hmm. and then there's reverse osmosis water, osmosis, which is a lot of what you get at like the grocery store when you fill yeah. up your jugs, and then distilled water as well too, um, and of course many many others. But there's a big, you know, there's a big difference between spring water and then a whole nother category that's going to be purified waters or distilled waters or reverse osmosis waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those aren't, waters aren't necessarily bad. They're very clean. A lot of the chemicals are pulled out of it, but the issue is that those waters are void of minerals. So right. in the purification process, they're actually pulling the charged ions or the, the minerals out of the water. Yeah. So the water is very clean, but, but as you know, in chemistry, you know, when we have opposite charges and the water is void of minerals, which carry a charge on them, mm-hmm. it's going to balance itself out in whatever medium you put that water into. Yeah. So if that medium is our body and that water is kind of negative of ions and, and, uh, well, ions and minerals, yep. it's going to actually pull those from the tissues themselves. Yeah. So it's kind of a very it's kind of a varying scale. Um, distilled water is going to be one of the harsher ones, where it's really going to be pulling minerals out. I wouldn't recommend drinking distilled water yeah. on a regular basis, long term. And those are things that we see. You know, I see with my clients that sometimes that's a piece a piece mm. of the puzzle that we, once we switch that, you know, For sure. uh, things like mineral imbalances. Uh, chronic cramping stuff like that sometimes it's a it's an easy fix with with the distilled water so distilled water reverse osmosis purified waters are all going to be uh fairly void of minerals so if you do drink those it's good to add a little bit of sea salt uh an electrolyte supplement of some kind or eat eat foods high in minerals to help supplement that yeah Uh, and with that what you'll what you'll notice if you're really paying attention those purified waters that are void of minerals are they're going to have a little bit more of a bite to them. They're going to be a little bit harsher. They're not going to be as smooth. They're not going to be as velvety as like a spring water or something that is carrying most of those, those okay. minerals with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nice. yeah, water is water is huge. Yeah, but, but um, I love it. I love to sample different kinds. I mm. mean, we're we're here plugging the liquid death, but. I'll drink a good Evian, man, or uh, yeah, I was like, Aquapana when you can get it in the glass bottle. That's okay. prime, you know. Okay, know yeah, that's yeah, prime too. But you know. Um, not not hating on anyone who no drinks otherwise, no, but for it, sure. it is a it is a simple fix and switch that is worth is worth looking into. So, what do you recommend? Like Brita, obviously, when people think of like water filters and stuff like that, Brita is like probably like the big name brand that people go to. I know my mind goes to. Yeah. What do you think about those? Again, not an expert. Yeah. So I would have to I would have to look at the individual. Uh, model of Brita that they're using and look into filtration process because I'm right. glad you brought this up because now we're talking about filtered water. Yeah, exactly. So I do believe that those car- filtered waters do carry their mineral bounces over. I do believe that's part of the filtration process mm-hmm. that companies like Brita put into their um, into their technology. Yeah, but it would be. I can't, I'd have a hard time saying anything until I right. look into it, but I would say right. that falls more on the, on the spectrum of a good, a good, um, spring water of some kind, glacial water, 
things like that. And then filtered water, I'd say, would be the next best thing. Or maybe better, you know, if, if you're getting your, yeah. your spring water from plastic, then, then we're talking about, right. you know, phthalates and yep. EPA and, and yep, chemicals exactly. leaching out of the plastic. So it, it, it's kind of a tough situation because the good water, quote, the good water the quote, that quote, you yeah, can yeah. get comes wrapped in plastic a lot of the times. Yeah. Or even this can that has a BPA lining in it, you know, for if we're going to get <laughs> get, 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 get into, critical, get yeah. It, I mean, sure. It's, and <laughs> that's why, like I said, that's why I'm. I just try to stick away from any bottled water ever, like any any like contained water that's like a single use, basically. Like liquid death, great. It's, it's a can, like infinitely recyclable, is like what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, love it. But at the end of the day, still, this is, in my opinion, wasteful. Yeah. I have my glass water bottle that I fill up all the time, and I just do that. Now, I don't like it, but I do drink tap water. Yeah. Like, that's that's just my style, just mostly because I haven't invested in, which is, people always t- like ask me, like, why haven't you invested? Like, isn't it going to affect the tea? It does. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It, water quality affects tea. I actually, so my parents, they live on a well. And I guess that's why I was growing up, like, just with well water, which, I guess, first, how do you feel about well water? Uh, it tastes like rust. <laughs> it tastes like but rust, I yeah. Think, I think, uh, you know, a lot of my family grew up on well water, so right. we're, our generation still <laughs> Yeah, we're still, we're still, we're still good. We're kicking. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, hold on. We're, we're still recording. Cool. Okay. Um... Yeah, so my my family they live on a well water and or on a well and when I go and I make tea at their house, it's not good. Yeah. Like it is really not good, and like they even have it filtered. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like the, it is so mineral rich and yeah. dense. It af- yeah, it just affects the taste of the water. Yeah, and I just I like genu- genuinely tasted a tea, and I'm like. This tastes like, uh, oh, what's it called? Like bug spray. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is horrible. And I'm like, is this, the, is this the tea? I think I've had this tea before and it hasn't been this bad. And then I did. I came back here, made it, and it tasted fine here. Well, fine to me. So I was like, whoa, this so, is... So for your listeners who don't know what well water is, or maybe they do, I'm yeah. not totally sure of the demographic we're, we're speaking with here, right. but uh, describe well water to them a little bit, or the process even. I mean, shit, you just drill a hole super deep into yeah. the ground and... Uh, like hundreds of feet, aren't hun- they? Yeah, hundreds, like of, hundreds feet, of feet, exactly. Feet. And you basically... I mean, I think people understand like the wells, like the old-timey wells, like with like the fucking bucket that you... Yeah. Like, like yeah. a pulley system down. It's not that. It's obviously so it's more sophisticated. Deep where, down in the layers of the earth, yeah. there's underwater rivers. Exactly. And water, clean water is flowing. Exactly. And that's what we're tapping into. And that's what we're tapping into. Now... For that water to get there, it's basically filtered using the ground filters it yeah. to get there from like the rain and shit like that. So th- while it's filtering, it's picking up these heavy metals and yeah. like not when I say heavy metals, yeah. people that's organic metal. Organic, more, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like and like iron, iron. iron's a very very popular one when it comes to to wells. Like that's yeah. just like the most. I mean, sometimes when you leave, like I remember growing up when we would leave for like. A vacation for like a week or two you'd come back you'd open up the faucet and you would literally orange. see orange yeah orange. it would be orange yeah. you'd have to let it run for a little bit 
to get rid of the orange. And like, that, and if you run the hot water, and for the next hour, it smells like oh, hard boiled eggs. Exactly. In the whole house, yeah, you know? it's it's rough. <laughs> it was it's rough, and like, yeah. but like I grew up with it, and like for the most part, I mean, I got used to it. But now being in a city and living off of Minneapolis city water, it's very different. And uh, it, it also I've just picked up on like little differences, little nuances in different cities too. Yeah. There's, um, I like Minneapolis city water. Minneapolis city water to me, pretty neutral. Doesn't really have much yeah, anything super like in your face. Yeah. Omaha, Nebraska, some of the most chlorinated water. I really? genuinely was like, oh, I don't feel comfortable drinking this yeah. because the chlorine. I can taste chlorine, and I'm yeah. like, nope. I actually, I would. I, I think I bought like water bottles yeah. <laughs> like there because yeah. I'm like. Yeah, yeah, at I'm a certain point, this. at a certain point, you gotta. You, you, there's only so much you can take. Right. Yeah. I grew up in uh, Fergus Falls, Minnesota, which is the western part of the state. And yeah. It's it's lakes country, right? Ottertail County has the most mm-hmm. the most lakes per capita, I think, in the nation. Uh, someone could fact check that, but uh, we lived on the lake where the city water was actually pulled from. Interesting. And, you know, Fer- Fergus Falls city water is notorious for tasting just like lake water. And, yeah. And. Uh, you know, all my buddies and I did a lot of a lot of weird things in that, in that <laughs> water and in that lake, and so to think that that's where the city's water, you know, water is coming right. from, it's pretty gnarly. But but uh, yeah, sink sink water is what it is. Again, I'm not a water expert. Yeah. But in general, it, I guess the only thing I, I want to get across is if you're drinking distilled water, probably want to make a it's, change. Yeah. Consistently, you probably want to make a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not supposed to feed plants distilled water, correct? Or am correct. I, no. Yeah, yeah, that's that is correct. I mean, so for people listening to, I, I will say that I, I mean, I work in the water treatment industry. I don't even know. If, yeah. So, oh. eco. Well, here we go. Like, yeah. Here, here, we go. here we go. Here we go. Like, that's that's like my my uh, corporate gig is working with water treatment. I sell right. water treatment Perfect. chemistry. So well, tell, tell I me more. I tell do me. have a little bit of expertise yeah. with this stuff um now granted it's not potable water it's all for power plants so yeah. very different this stuff you definitely don't want to drink because it's coal nuclear and um natural gas so now let's power. come back to that for a second okay. so when you say nuclear remember the lake that i grew up on that the city water came from that yep. i was just talking about yeah it was river fed and then at the end of the river was the uh power plant out yeah of tail power out of tail plant. Plant. yeah i've been there it's oh, a yeah. cost, that's a customer of mine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this, is perfect. this is perfect. Okay, yeah. so there's a spot in Fergus called the Rock, mm-hmm. and it's a part of the river where the water pumps out of the treatment plant, or the power plant, Right. and it's hot, right? So mm-hmm. we go there year-round, and it, we treated it like a hot spring. What were we swimming in right, right. during so, those times? Yeah, so I mean, we... That's that's a obviously a huge thing. Like people with power plants, like down downstream of power plants, they don't. The MPCA is huge. So the MPCA is the the basically like EPA, right? I think that's like the Environmental Agency of like the United States. MPCA is basically the Environmental Protection um, Organization of Minnesota. Okay. So they are on top of that shit. Like when it comes to power plants, just because obviously any little bit of thing that affects the river yeah, it's gonna affect people or... and like yeah so like any like waste or anything so as part of my job um i help these power plants remain within the guidelines of the mpca so basically how the water is that comes into the plant off the river or the lake or wherever it needs to basically be equivalent 
like when you're putting on the way out. So there is temperature. um, Yeah, temperature is a big thing because if it's too hot, it could kill the ecosystem um, out out of the power plant. So there there are sometimes you have these uh, thermal cooling towers at the end of the process just to cool the water down to put it back out. Clearly, they didn't have it that cold, but... But it was if, it was comfortable. Yeah, you know, we weren't burning. Right, right, right. So, um, again, uh, assuming if they're they're running fine and like they they uh, there's there should be no no problems like yeah. out, outside of power plants. Um, there are of course there's like those releases that you hear about. Yeah. Um, because like if something is not caught, it will go downstream and it could it will affect anybody or anything that's in the water. Like, yeah. So. Yes, could could there be a problem? Sure, of course. But it's for very, the most I mean, part, very well regulated. It's very well regulated. The the power plant, it's it's shut power plants down. Like if they have an accidental release or something, because yeah. it's like super bad PR. And especially if it's a nuclear plant and they have like a release of any sort, even if it's just like a minor little thing, you slap on nuclear plant has a release, like everyone just loses yeah. their fucking minds. Yeah, but. In all reality, like nuclear plants, they're I'm I'm big into nuclear plants. I love yeah, I, nuclear energy is is okay. I, I in my opinion where we need to go. Well, it's most efficient. We have a submarine cleanest. that can drive for underwater for what for 100 years. years or yeah, like for that. yeah, exactly. And like it's, it's it's wild. And so to think that like this is such like an untapped energy source that I mean that's what the sun is. It's just fusion and fission just constantly happening and just that's what we're trying to do is harness the power of the sun yeah. into these nuclear reactors and if we're able to so right now we do what's called fission yeah and uh, this is kind of getting a little on a tangent of, of from this podcast but um yeah so the basics of nuclear power is right now we do what's called fission which basically you bombard uh these uranium that's like what the power comes from you bombard uranium and it breaks off into, um, I'm blanking on what, what it actually fractures, like what the element that it becomes when you bombard it with a bunch of protons. But in that separating process, it releases energy. Yeah. It releases heat. That boils water. And because it, it increases pressure, it boils water. That water eventually what, passes what through a turbine. Of, what kind of heat are we talking here? Are we talking like... like thousands and thousands of degrees or do you right, know yeah. no numbers um, for that or i don't know those numbers because fusion but, isn't that the the nuclear bombs are, isn't that fusion reactions no or is that fission a nuclear bomb I, yeah so i don't i don't know much about like nuclear bombs um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i don't i don't know much about that but yeah. fusion is kind of how it sounds instead of like we're doing fission where we're bombarding with a bunch of protons and separating an atom into or yeah an atom into other atoms and like other elements we're actually combining atoms i believe that form it also produces energy but so i don't i don't understand fusion that well but basically it's like the opposite so by combining these atoms it too releases energy but on like an exponentially larger scale so you can you can have a much smaller fusion reactor that produces 10x what a fission reactor so it's like the size of the room that we're in can be the reactor but it can power all of minneapolis like or all the twin cities 
And we're so, in a room about the size of in, a one-stall garage, right? Right, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, that could power a reactor. It yeah. could power the whole city of Minneapolis. For sure. Like, if, really. if we're able to figure out fusion. Now, that's oh, the thing okay. is we actually haven't figured it out yet. Okay. Um, fission, we, we got down pat, like, and that's, like, what all the nuclear power plants yeah. do right now. Yeah. Fusion, on the other hand, that's... Uh, I think we're working on it, but see, like I said, like people, the the public eye of nuclear um, power generation is Chernobyl. Like you have all these documentaries and like these TV series and stuff about Chernobyl. And granted, I've never watched them, but I assume they're kind of scary, ominous, like yeah. ooh, spooky, and it's terrible. Like what happened at these at these power plants that did fail, terrible. But that was also so long ago and and especially with chernobyl there were blatant things what is chernobyl for oh yeah i guess so if people don't know what chernobyl is i guess i would recommend looking it up um for yourself but basically it was a nuclear power plant in russia and it had a freak accident a freak meltdown and it caused a basically an a catastrophic failure of this nuclear power plant that released extremely radioactive material and i think to this day the area of chernobyl is still radioactive and like cancer causing and like just super toxic so again horrible and the people who died like just terrible terrible um incident yeah but the what we like i said like i was saying before or there were blatant steps overlooked at Chernobyl like that we now know they blatantly bypassed some safety safety protocols just so that they could get power going like because I think this was during yeah they were cutting corners I'm pretty sure this was in like the 1960s so this is like Cold War era I believe 1960s maybe 70s and it's Russia and the United States like I said Cold War era so like they just need their everyone's like freaking out they're trying to like best us because like we're on the verge like are we gonna start a war are we gonna like not we no one knows so they're just like like just we need production we need everything yeah so they just bypassed some of these things and we saw what happened nowadays i like i said i work in nuclear plants it's the amount that you have to go through just to get like a little tote of chemistry on site it's ridiculous. Like the the amount of safety protocols that they have, there is nothing that that goes under the radar. Wow. So, I'm like the the safety behind. I'm very confident in in nuclear, in nuclear reactors and nuclear power. Like I said, I think it's clean. There is the waste, um, but the waste that is produced, yeah, that we need to figure something out. Not too sure what we what to do with that. But for the most part, it's a very clean and safe process, right? And efficient, and efficient, very, mm-hmm. very efficient. The the square footage of a nuclear power plant compared to like a coal fired power plant is maybe like half the square footage, and produces maybe double the amount of energy. So it's like that's amazing, and yeah. no emissions. So it's like wow. great, no greenhouse gases, like. Awesome. Uh, There's like checks like nine out of the 10 boxes that you want. It checks all of them. Like I said, the waste is in my opinion. And then I guess the, the mining practices, mining and the waste, like the, the both ends 
Because mining practices suck for the earth, too. Yeah. But. That's unfortunately the world that we live, the modern world we're living in. It is. You if know, you have a phone, of- if you have any sort of technology, um, you're supporting the mining industry. Basically, like everything, like it supports the mining industry, and the mining industry kind of fucks with the earth. Yeah, unfortunately. It's yeah. It is unfortunate. It is. But uh, yeah, you want to try this? this? Yeah, yeah. Let's so, try this. Let's talk. I came here to to learn about tea. <laughs> you came here. Oh, and I came. Uh, you want to finish and, and enjoy our conversation? Yeah. yeah oh, for sure. of course, sure. of course. But yeah, so we got here. Tim's gonna be trying for the first time a ripe aged pu'er and so this is um ooh, i don't remember the date on it did you catch the date on the package 1998 1998 so yeah so that's when this was harvested and um it's been it was fermented at that time and just fermented until i think i bought this 2020 yeah like january 2020 so at that point basically it was fermented for what like 20 years basically yeah and packaged and now we're here to enjoy more than, it more than 20 now. more than yeah more, more than, than 20, 20 years now. so awesome yeah let's let's get into this so again yeah if, if this is i don't know do you know much about puer i don't i do not that's right you're saying you're i don't know much of. about tea in general but yeah, I, yeah. i'm very intrigued i'm very intrigued so like i was saying yeah, it's a fermented tea it's kind of like a black tea um it's very different than a than a normal black tea because of that fermentation process you actually get a little bit more of a smoky flavor sometimes sometimes you get super smoky flavors this one i don't consider it to be smoky i consider it to be um, a little more like kind of like you were saying like velvety uh it's a little smooth almost i, I hate using the word dirt because it just makes it sound so bad earthy. but yeah but it's very earthy and but it's sweet too yeah yeah so i don't so know what do you think I dig it. I dig it. So when it gives me this little, it gives me this little sensation on my tongue. Okay. Like, like a, almost like a drying sensation kind of. Yeah. Well. Is that common with tea or with this kind of tea or. We oversteeped it. <laughs> we way oversteeped this. Yeah. Is that what it is? That, that's mostly what that is. Cause gotcha. that's, so people talk about that all the time and like that's when they tell me, oh, like tea is just always so bitter or it's always like so astringent or it just leaves like a weird taste in my mouth like yeah. afterwards. That's because uh, you're not brewing it right. It's not bad. And no, no, it's not bad. But I, I knew, like when I Actually, when we were making good. this, it's, it is really good. It is good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, and again, I mean, I want. Obviously, you can also not like it. If <laughs> no, I do. I do like it. I, um, I do really like it. But when people tell me that, that to me means like that's a that's a trigger of basically like oh you're probably not brewing it right either like. Okay not right temperatures if it's like a like a green or white tea temperature is pretty especially if it's like high quality temperature is pretty uh important yeah because you don't you'll actually burn the leaves so if you have too high of a temperature it kind of burns the leaves and it leaves a much bitter harsher taste interesting same with time if you steep for i mean we've been here for like 30 minutes and I probably started this 15 minutes before we got on the yeah, podcast. So yeah. it's, this has been steeping for 45 minutes yeah. now. And uh, yeah, so that's way too long. <laughs> that's yeah. that's way too long. So I expected this to be a little so bit Vince on the was, pressure. Vince was already serving me up up some tea when I came over to his house today. And then, you know, I, I didn't hesitate to say, let's drink some top shelf stuff. And 
didn't hesitate to, to steep it. So uh, yeah, thank you. Dude, I appreciate it. That's again, that's like why, first of all, you saw how much tea I have. Yeah. <laughs> I have so much. You think I'm going to finish that all in, in my life? Like that, that could literally probably last me the rest of my life. Although I do yeah. drink a lot of tea every single day. Yeah. So, but it's, I'm more, more than happy, especially someone like you, you're, you're talking about getting into the tea game. Like, yeah. You're the perfect person who I want to like share this stuff with. This is exactly why I want to do this podcast. This is like the people who are like, oh, I'm kind of interested in this thing, but I have no idea what it is or what's going on. Beautiful. Yeah. Ideally, I'd have each and every one of those people over to my house, right. show them, take them through my little tea that's cabinet. That's why you have a podcast. That's, that's, why, why, you have, you have a that's podcast. why you have fresh steeps. That's why I have fresh that's steeps. Why you have so. Fresh steeps. Yeah, so I got questions. What, what do you got for about this or about like... Well, yeah. Uh, actually, before we go further, obviously we just went way into chemistry and science. Remind me yeah. what it is that your background is because yeah, chem- we're, both, we're both biology, chemistry, right. you know, science guys. So remind me what it is that yeah. your background is. Yeah, I, uh, I went to University of Iowa for chemical engineering. Awesome. So Chemistry is your thing. I do. I, I like chemistry. It was funny. Uh, one of my customers, we were talking about, she's a chemical engineer as well. And she's like, she's like, chemical engineers, they don't like chemistry. We like processes because oh. people and well, I, she was my customer and we were making a sales call. So I didn't disagree with her. But in my mind, I'm like, I love chemistry. <laughs> like, I loved organic chemistry and stuff like that, which is, again, one of those classes that people but it's maybe a little bit of a stereotype that I'm I'm portraying here that because you're a chemical engineer you must you must yeah. take chemistry and that's not necessarily true for sure yeah okay. because what what differentiates chemical engineering from like chemistry is how I always explain it to people is basically you take a a reaction so you take like a lab scale reaction of like for I don't know I don't need an example you take a lab scale reaction and you make it into a large-scale process. So now you basically build up that reaction because on a lab scale, you're able to control a lot of the conditions like perfectly for that reaction to come out beautifully. You take that to the real world and you take it up to like a large scale where now you're trying to mass produce whatever that product is, that final product, and yeah. like whether it's for like pharmaceuticals, whether it's for... Um, like plastics or harnessing energy, harnessing from water energy, and then exactly. Putting it through processes and making sure it comes out clean—that's pretty. Exactly. Pretty like what you have to think through all those processes and really hone in on what affects those, so like temperatures, pressures, uh, for pH, for like water or alkalinity or conductivity, stuff like that. So it's more thinking about a process as a whole and a large scale process than it is about like exactly like the little nuances of what's going on in this chemical reaction. Now I like the chemical reaction aspect and actually I don't like the process part of it. So I was like a little bit opposite. I was more into the chemistry and less into like the large scale operations, but I, I don't know. I, I knew I wanted to do engineering and in my mind, I'm like, okay, I like chemistry. If I get a chemical engineering degree, I think it just opens up opportunities for me to kind of do whatever I want. Because people, there's not many chemical engineers yeah. in the world. So it's like, okay, they see that. It's just like an easy way of like, I know like when I got my, my job, like my my 
first boss who hired me, he was like, there's supposed to be a technical uh, aspect of this interview. He's like, we're not going to do that. You're a chemical engineer. We're good. Yeah. I'm like, cool. <laughs> like that. So like, it was like, it's like basically like privilege. <laughs> I got, sure. that's it. I got passed like through some of the things because he just trusted that the University of Iowa took care of that. I got my degree. We're that's, good. That's the cool thing about being in the, you know, deep in the sciences is that mm-hmm. if you have that background, there's a need for that in, in the economy and in the world right, right. now. Science, science majors are, are high in demand, so it's a very it's a very good avenue to go. Yeah. And what are what's your background? So my background is in human biology. Okay. I'm actually working on finishing my master's degree right now uh, yeah. on top of running my, my business and my private healthcare practice. Um, so it's it's a, a lot right now, but yeah, my focus is on human biology. I'm I am obsessed with the origins of humanity and how things operate and how things function. Yeah. So I really look at the body as as a machine and the the mechanisms and the machinery that makes this human body move and operate. But then even deeper than that, I like to get into you know some of the philosophy and stuff of what. What is life? No, we won't go there. <laughs> we won't go there. But 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 kind of though. I'm but I'm a bio, yeah, yeah. Into biology, which is the study of life, and I focus specifically on the human the human organism is what it is. Right. So that's what that's what really drives me. But biology courses aren't necessarily necessarily my favorite to take. So yeah. biology things like that are sometimes hard for me to get fully into. But mm-hmm. but anything kinesiology, biomechanics. I love physics. Things like that are really what you know what made me tick. Yeah, yeah, and it 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 shows in Axon, like when you're just like looking at like the services you provide and like kind of just through your Instagram and through just like what you do, it's everything you're talking about shows exactly right. Like and and just like the way that you live. I mean, shit, like the the stuff you're talking about, like with fasting, with the 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 I don't know. I feel like the supplements that you you were. Um, you tagged me in on, on Instagram oh, and, and you know like my that. my intuition That's, told me that that was gonna come up. Yeah, so and you and you already dude. If you wanna you wanna put a few drops of that in your tea, it'll. I, what does it taste like? Anything or nothing? nothing. It's is this it's, the the it's, HGH? It's yeah, gonna, HGH. Yeah. yeah, and actually, the most potent way to take it is gonna be to put it under your tongue. So okay. For people listening, this is yeah. this is a homeopathic remedy, is what it is. How many drops? Ten drops under the tongue. It's gonna burn a little bit because it's <laughs> in it's in alco- ethanol alcohol. But hold it for 30 seconds and then swallow that down. Uh, this will this will get you rolling here. Hmm. Yeah, you want <laughs> and, to explain? And this one, this homeopathic remedy is called HGH Vitality, which is kind of a, a touchy subject, I guess. Probably, especially in the world of of sports and things. HGH, mm-hmm. human growth hormone. Uh, so this does not contain human growth hormone. It doesn't contain any molecules or anything. It's a homeopathic remedy, which Without going way into it, unless you want to work no, on energetic frequencies, I that's why you're here. So I, want, I want to talk about this uh, stuff, but it's it's powerful stuff, and I I think you'll feel that kick in in a minute. So this, yeah, you know, this is for helping the body, helping assist the the parts of the body that are responsible for producing human growth hormone, right. human growth hormone, basically. Right. Yeah, because that's such a. Man, I feel like yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a maybe a buzzword that's going around right now is HGH and human growth hormone and, and stuff like that. Um, I know I try to because like there's ways like naturally like just building that up in yes. your system, right? Like without 
without any supplements. Yeah. Yeah. So like I try to experiment with stuff like that, but I I mean, I also do stuff that probably negatively influence it like drink and and do it like, like I said, like last night, went to bed super late, didn't get a good night's sleep and, uh, and I drank a little. So it's like, yeah, that for sure is taking negative effects. So Something that can boost up that system. Absolutely, and for me, yeah. like I mentioned a minute ago, I'm I'm running on a little bit more of the grind. I'm not proud of of the grind and hustle life, but I'm running a little bit more on that grind right now, trying to finish up my degree. Right on top of the business, so my body is really kind of in overdrive. For sure, recently training, working with people, and so it's just a way to help support my systems to keep them from burning out, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry. Can I don't maybe you were explaining. So what exactly is this? It kind of reminds me of like a little tincture. Have you it, isn't, it is a tincture. Oh, it is a tincture. It's in okay. a tincture, but the thing is, so the the fact that this is a homeopathic remedy is different from maybe a tincture. So a tincture would yeah, contain can... actual molecules. Okay. Right? Want to explain that a little further? Uh, so a tincture of CBD right. or a tincture of THC contains the molecule THC THC. or CBD Mm -hmm. in it. A homeopathic remedy doesn't contain any molecules. It doesn't doesn't contain necessarily molecular structure of the... of these ingredients in here so it's it's ener- this is where it loses a lot of people it's, it's okay. energetic frequency and so it yeah. has to do it's physics is what it is so when we go way way deep into the the operation of of even chemistry mm-hmm. it's driven by a lot of times polarity right yep and so on that same level of ener- energy being transferred as kind of a, a root source of where mechanisms start in the body yeah that's what the idea behind homeopathics is so to 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 make this more conceptual each of our organs resonate at a certain frequency Mm -hmm. and that that frequency can either be a low frequency where it's very low and it kind of operates at at this lower wavelength or high frequency or somewhere in the middle if an organ is operating at a low frequency maybe like the liver that's a sign that that the liver is quote stressed out. It doesn't have enough mm. oomph to really operate at the level it's designed to. Mm-hmm. A homeopathic remedy for specific for the liver, whoever designs these things, has done the research to find that it, the liver will operate at so many hertz. I don't know off the top of my yeah. head, and the the homeopathic will be designed to help bring that resonating energy up of that organ system. Okay. Which, this is a tough subject to go into. Well, so first off, yeah, no, no, I love it. This is exactly something I I did want to touch on. Yeah. But first off, this is measurable, right? Like this is something that you can measure. This isn't just like a bunch of like, can like people are just like, oh, we, because like, again, you can lose people. I'm all about the whole energetic frequency type thing. Um, I was hesitating to even go into it. Because no, I know, I, I know what it's. What it's it but yeah, no, this is good because first of all, we as I think most people understand that we are all like energetic beings, and again, kind of trigger words like where it's yes, like yes, like but there is energy clearly in all of us, and energy is in everything. I mean, yes. energy is neither created nor destroyed. Like we all understand that, or you, if you don't, yes. 
it's the truth. <laughs> we Einstein like figured that out. He's like, oh, energy is neither created yeah. nor destroyed. So this is yeah. When you think about something like this, you kind of you can lose people because I think there's it's gained it's abstract. A, it's an abstract yeah. It, and, I'm, and it's, yeah. It's wrapped into the pseudoscience realm a little bit to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's me- like that's why I was like, okay, if this yes. is measurable. We can clearly see, like this on what I don't know how you measure it, and, and that's where you got to make sure that you're sourcing from companies that you trust and companies that are science based. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll do do a little bit more of that, okay. which is a big part of the the supplement supplement world in in general, right? Right. You you want to make sure that the companies that you're endorsing are backing their products by science and research, and they're not exactly. just putting out a bunk product. But yes, lots. There is lots of research out there about homeopathic remedies, and sometimes just try things for yourself for a while, and then see and, and notice what it does. Yeah, and you'll you'll get an idea. If you drank this whole bottle right now, you would you would be hurt. Would you, you would, would you be, die? You, you wouldn't die. You'd just get really sick. Okay, like just like vomit or like oh, what? you would have a, a horrible headache. You'd be puking. It, really, it would almost be your and, body would act like it's been poisoned because it's really strong. Because yeah, and then it, that's I, that's a good point too. When it comes to, I guess, I'm not a doctor. Do you, and like, I'm not a doctor. Yeah, so okay, this is all for informational yeah, use of only. Course, of course, uh, obviously, do your own research with with we're this just, stuff. We're, we're just exploring. Yeah, we're just, we're just exploring. exploring. Um. So yeah, this is we're not giving any recommendations out there, but like that's when I talk about like these a lot of herbal stuff and like herbal yeah. teas and, and tinctures and yeah. salves and like all that stuff. Um, again, all for informational use, but there's some powerful shit out there, absolutely, and you can die. Like you can oh, yeah. you can mess yourself up, like absolutely. for sure if you if you overdose or even if like you're taking something else like a like a medication. And you just happen to choose the right herb. Yeah, it fucks with it. And a lot, so, of, a lot yeah. of prescription drugs are do have their base in in herbalism or herbs, or, exactly, or plant chemicals or organic yeah. chemicals as well. Uh, lost myself. <laughs> My brain was going to be three or four. No, it's, it's where this nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. Where. Shit, I was only three years old when when this happened. Uh, bring me back. What, what were we just? Where were we going with this homeopathic stuff? Where is it? Measurable? Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I kind of stopped you because I want. I, I just wanted to see. I want to bring it back to quote unquote like reality. I want to like make sure it's grounded in truth and science yes. and stuff like that, rather than like oh it's like this spiritual which again i'm all about the spiritual yeah. stuff and i think that there is 100 percent a place for it yeah but not really when it comes to stuff like this like that's like i want like truth especially if it's like a product that i'm going to be buying and putting yes. into my body i kind of want like some science back truth and you would and stuff like if that. you dig into the science behind homeopathics you're going to understand it a lot better than the general public will yeah but when we get into the realm of physics and electromagnetism and polarity a lot of people get lost it's, and so just yeah. because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not real or it's not real science mm-hmm. and i totally get it i'm a i'm a very skeptical person myself but yeah. i'm also an explorer and i like to experiment which sometimes Same. has gotten me in some trouble <laughs> but you know but it's uh but i've seen enough with it now working with it every day that there when you see somebody who has chronic headaches from a, a weak liver and you you put them on a homeopathic to just to help support the liver even though it is 
energetic mm-hmm. and you see them come back a week later and their headaches they've had for three, four years are now gone. Amazing. Maybe it's placebo, maybe it's not, but I understand right. the science. Maybe the client doesn't understand the science. Who cares? Their headaches are gone. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, but that yeah, I gotta be careful there too because I don't wanna go I don't wanna diminish you know, my respect for my res- respect for science and, and data as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, lots lots of research behind them. So you would understand some of that, but it operates more on frequencies, specific frequencies. Same thing with something like essential oils, right? Essential oils, mm-hmm. plant-based oils that yep. operate at specific frequencies. So why do you use one essential oil for the kidney and a different essential oil for the liver or a different essential oil for the lung? Why would you use a different oil or a different herb, mm-hmm. right, for that? It, it has to do It has to do with balancing out energies ultimately ultimately that's kind of what's going on even with yeah. even with herbs right yeah chemistry as i said chemistry is driven it's and correct i mean correct me or, no. or fine-tune this if i'm if i'm off on this but right. chemistry is driven by physics kind of that electromagnetic basically yeah ions and positives and negatives mm-hmm. and that's what drives that's what drives really most human function. Yeah. So to put this tangibly, I work with movement, right? Movement disorders. Yep. And uh, biomechanics. So I'll trace this back and just kind of follow along. What move? You know, the question is, what moves a bone? And it's a muscle that moves a bone, right? Our mm-hmm. muscles move our bones. What moves a muscle? You can go ahead and follow along with. Yep. That. A nerve, right? Yep. So a nerve moves a muscle, which moves a bone. What moves a nerve? Chemistry, an exchange of ions across across a nerve barrier, basically. Yeah. But what's driving that exchange of ions? Yeah. Why Why is there a chemical reaction? And it has to do with positives and negatives. Okay. Electromagnetism, which yeah. is electricity. Yep. And physics. Yeah. And so in that world, if we can change and alter and, and modify the control of the energy... In this case, positives and negatives, or magnetism, positive-negative interaction. Yeah. Then we can change or the function of you name it. Depends on what we're looking at. I'm there. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? It does. It does make sense. It's it's a new and interesting way of thinking about that because it even breaks it down. Like I think we all understand that that what moves what moves a bone is a muscle. And I think even most people understand, like, the whole nerve, nerve moves a muscle. Yes. Now, yeah, you start, again, you kind of can lose me, and I'm assuming other yeah. people, where it's like, okay, yeah, wait, but hold on, what does move a nerve? Because in my mind, I, was, I thought you were going to go, like, the brain or something like that. Which is a nerve. Which is a, which which is, is a nerve. Exactly. But then I'm like, well, but what so makes the brain do the yeah, thing? Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. you're like, oh, it's chemistry. okay. It's chemistry. Exactly. Neurotransmitters, yeah. chemistry. But what makes the chemistry interact? What? And it's positives yeah. and negative charges, yep. which is it's, magnetism. Yeah. And it's electricity, basically. Yeah, that's exactly... I mean, that is, like... That's legitimately like how a power plant works yes. too. It's yes. it's legitimately like that's how you make that's energy when exactly. you flip a switch. Fission that's, infusion. That's what's going on. Is you're you're just transferring positives and negatives. Yes. To the light bulb now. Yes. And so it's the same exact thing, same exact process. But the machinery is the human body. Exactly. The human and the human body. So again, 
a tangible example of this. Right. A lot of people are familiar with the supplementation of magnesium. Yep. A lot of people take magnesium. One of the benefits of magnesium is muscle tone. Yeah. And it alters or usually will calm down muscle tone if the muscles are really tense and tight because of its act on the nerves. So magnesium calms the nervous system down. It calms the nerves. So now here, somebody might have a movement disorder of some kind or an imbalance in the way they walk or move. Yeah. And for certain cases, you can trace it back far enough and find that the glitch in the system is that point where the the chemicals that fire the nerve in that specific area are maybe out of whack. And that's what I do is I, I, if there's something that's not, I trace these, I trace it back. Right. So again, muscle moves the bone, nerve moves the muscle. Yep. Chemistry makes a nerve fire. Mm -hmm. And if there's an imbalance in the chemistry or we alter that chemistry by supplementation of magnesium in this case, Mm -hmm. now we can calm down the function of that nerve if that nerve is firing 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 and you're cramping yep and you're having spasm in your muscle for some people it's a it's a mineral deficiency or it's a magnesium deficiency so now we're right. using chemistry to, to alter a physical muscle yep and then you can go the next level of that is where we're getting into energy energy and mm-hmm. the, the the abstract stuff so to be clear i i'm not all about home, you know, homeopathics i'm not a homeopath yeah i utilize them but i Way more than homeopathic remedies, I'm using supplements, orthomolecular nutrition, yeah. what it's called, so supplementation, herbs, the chemical side of things, the chemical, so chemistry yeah. and physics and neurology. So right. I work a lot with neuroplasticity, which we can get into in a minute. Yeah. And then, of course, physical strengthening, exercise, things like that. Yeah. So really looking at, at the body as a machine and figuring out the sequence of operations that occur to make the body do whatever the body does, whether that's digest our food or whether that's produce ATP for energy, Mm -hmm. all these different systems, they're mapped out. So just like we can look at the engine of a, or look at a car and we can figure out why the car won't start. Oh, your spark plugs aren't working. Let's fix the spark plug. You've, you've fixed one of the steps in the process that makes the car start. Yes. And that's what I'm doing. And sometimes it's the sometimes it's it's the spark plug. Sometimes it's the starter. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. whatever. You know what I mean? So that's where the diagnostic work comes in to figure out where this is coming from. And that's the art of what I do is is figuring yeah, out how and why yeah. to do what. But essentially, it's all about seeing the body work mechanistically, and then find the piece where the glitch is or where we think there's a glitch, mm-hmm. and then use reason and the and skill to to try to boost you know assist the body in allowing that operation to occur right is that kind of making sense it's making no no that's that's making a lot of sense and i really like it i I really like that style of breaking it down into this again i the the fun part for me is being in the industry that i'm in there's so many correlations yeah (laughs) there's so much and and like that's like the older i get which again I'm totally 26. I'm not old. But the older I get, the more I start to realize that life is all, like, there's so many comparisons in life. And the way you're talking about how we look at it, like, chemically, mechanically, and operationally, that's legitimately how I break down stuff, like, projects with my customers. I'm like, okay, you have this problem. A lot of times customers are like, because I'm in the water treatment industry and I I utilize, I'm a chemical guy. They're like, 
it's the chemicals fault. And I'm like, okay, well let's look at the whole thing. Yeah. Like, let's look, how are you mechanically operating this piece of equipment? Yes. What's the operational type or what's the operations behind it as well? Yes. Like, and then, okay, are those in check? Then yeah, it's probably the chemistry. Yeah. Let's, let's look at the chemistry. So you're doing the exact same thing. Cause all that's going on in our body. Like, yeah, whether it's like, mechanically like oh like maybe i have like a sprained joint or something that's a mechanical thing that's not chemical that's not like the but magnesium it, it might be chemical okay it might be chemical and here's let, let's break that down yeah uh, so like me, i'm talking let's, let's give me or do you have a real no i, I don't um i mean let's, i had, I had my knee surgery i don't know if there's something there but okay so let's talk about an imbalance in the knee right right I'm going to have to be careful here. I'm going to go way off and lose my track but bring me back if, if i go yes. out there in the science world yeah yeah so the knee is a joint, right. obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's a hinge joint. Mm-hmm. And now the listeners can't see this, but I'm giving a giving Vince a diagram of how the joint operates. Yeah. Uh, so that joint space moves, mm-hmm. again, because of the muscles that surround the bones that make up the knee joint. Yep. If there's an imbalance in the muscles, which I think most people can understand, one side of the muscles, one side of the joint is really strong and one side of the joint is really weak. We get an uh, imbalance in the joint. Mm-hmm. That's going to cause the joint to move out of balance or not move optimally okay. because the muscles that line to that have an imbalance in them. Yes. But why do the muscles have an imbalance? That's the question. So, so mm. standard care is going to be they're not strong enough to exercise them, which isn't wrong, but it's not always right either. So you can... Hmm. Again, let's let's keep going back with my example earlier of what drives what, right? Yeah. From, yep. from physics to human movement. So if the <coughs> muscles that move your knee are out of balance, yes, you can you can help by strengthening them. Right. But again, it's the nerve that controls the muscles. Okay. So if there's for whatever reason some type of nerve interference or diminished nerve function to the muscles that surround the knee, you can try to exercise those muscles all day long and you're going to hit a certain point where you only get a certain, so much of a result. Right. Or, again, in that joint imbalance, one side is really tight and one side is really weak. If that really tight side is chronically tight and, you, and it's bound up and you work on those muscles and you loosen them up and you're feeling good and moving good and then a couple days later or a week later, it's back. And then you work on that muscle and then it, it's good, and then it comes back. If you see that repetitive, chronic tension yep. in a muscle, yeah. that's usually deeper. So what would be the next level that we would assess? It would be the nerves, because the, yeah. the nerves control the muscle. Yes. And so that's primarily what I focus on with my, my practice. For, for listeners, I work as an alternative healthcare practitioner with a focus on uh, chronic pain disorders and... Uh, Difficult, cases that haven't been resolved through standard standard care. We can get more into that later, uh, but we're talking about about movement and nerve imbalance right now. And um, so it could be the nerve. So then it's always asking what's deeper. We're going upstream, right? I'm always looking for the deepest source of where did this start and why. I like yeah because it's mechanistic. We yep. have this labeled out, and we can use logic and reason and, and previous science to decide what tools we're going to use to try to get that nerve to fire now, right? Yeah. And so you look at the nerve, and we do different assessments for the nerve, and maybe the nerve is not firing because of chemistry again, a chemical imbalance. Maybe the nerve isn't firing because 
you have an injury at your knee and now your, your nervous system starts to compensate mm. while you're healing. And that compensation gets driven into the nervous system, which I can break that down a little bit in a minute here yeah. too, if we need to. Yeah, yeah. Basically what I'm saying is something wrong at the joint. First check the muscles. Are the muscles imbalanced? Yes, they are. By all means, try to loosen it up. You know, manually release stretching. All yep. that is good. Try to strengthen. Try to get the balance there. But if it's, it's if it's a chronic pattern, the muscles keep st- the muscles are staying imbalanced, tight and weak, and they're not responding to massage or not that these things are bad. I fully endorse all all right, massage and practices. But if you notice that repetitive cycle, then you got to look at the nerve function. Mm. And then again, asking why is the nerve not functioning? And it can be it can be various things even down to a lack of energy to make the nerves fire, which gets into human metabolism and energy production. So you might find somebody with a shoulder problem or an ankle problem, and believe it or not, it could be stemming from the fact that their body's having a hard time producing enough energy to keep that nerve firing to that region. Yeah. That's just one example. It's dynamic. It can come from that's the that's the detective yeah. work of trying to solve these these complex cases is figuring out what is it actually coming from. So it's a series of trial and error, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. It, it's again, I like that you're not just slapping a band-aid on a, a challenge that like one of your clients or whoever is having. You're actually getting to the true source, which truly is what health should be. No one wants to walk around with headaches for two years right. or a, just like a, a weird ankle click or like a weird, like just whatever it is. Yeah. Like no one wants that, but like you kind of just get used to it. We're like, okay, yeah. I, I've slapped the bandaid on it. I just pop like an Advil every day. Yeah. And I'm fine or something like that. It's like, mm, don't you want to break that down and get deeper and figure out what's driving this exactly and so i appreciate that step-by-step methodical just approach and that paradigm is what's called functional medicine yes so that's there are lots of resources out there so for people that are interested in what we're talking about look into functional medicine it gives you an idea of a little bit of the philosophy of what we're talking about here this this mechanistic approach of how the body operates all the way down from, like we said, electromagnetism and energy through biochemistry, through neurology, and then it manifests as human life, movement, operations, function of the body. So it's looking at at those steps, finding where is the glitch in the process that is causing the digestive system to not operate or function the way it's supposed to. And if we, if we find a major yes, there's a problem with the gallbladder, so they're having a hard time producing bile to digest fats. Right. If we find that that is the glitch, then we try to assist the gallbladder. We yep. try to help the gallbladder build, up, yeah. build up and do what it do what it does. And a lot of times when we bridge that gap, the downstream symptoms a lot of times will resolve. Not always. It's it's dynamic. Sometimes it's not just the gallbladder. There's it's each case is unique. Yeah. So you have to look at the individual and their circumstances all the way down from where they work, what their lifestyle is, what their yeah. history is, even down in, into emotional trauma. So it's... It, yeah, that, that actually brings up a great point about the about trauma. Because, again, you get to like energetically. Yeah. Trauma, I'm assuming, because like 
I don't really have much trauma in my life, but any like trauma, I imagine, produces energy that is negative, quote unquote, yeah. for your body and can be depressive. And when you're depressed, your body's not functioning. Yeah, at its at its peak, at its at its prime. So exactly, that's an interest. I mean, shit. They, that's all. That's so. That's so, so much so though. Spe- like that's yeah, yeah. It's 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 deep. It's deep stuff. It's fascinating. It's fascinating, and it's it's newer. Hmm. This is all a newer approach to health. It's out there. You know, it's been around for a couple decades, but yeah, it's up and coming. Where there's a, a group of a community of scientists and practitioners that are saying, okay, the standard healthcare system is we don't have a thriving healthy population in the united states right now right. as a whole and that's facts yeah so you can uh but back to trauma here's an example of, of trauma affecting the nervous system as well memories are car- are in the brain memories are carried in the nervous system in the brain right yeah if there's a part of the brain that is holding an emotional trauma or the deep memory of an emotional trauma a defense mechanism of the body is to kind of repress that specific little part of the brain or that specific pathway of neurons that connect that carry that information as a defense mechanism to not feel it right mm. i don't want to deal with this traumatic event because it's too much to handle and it's it's a, it's a subconscious defense mechanism yeah so if a tiny little piece of the of the brain or a neural circuit of the brain that's carrying this tra- <clears throat> this traumatic information will s- I don't want to say it gets shut off, but but the body creates a new neural pathway that doesn't involve using that because it doesn't want doesn't want it yeah. doesn't want to access that that information. Right. Whatever else is carried by that specific neural pathway, you're losing. Yeah. You're potentially losing, and so if if hmm. that part of the brain happens to have other responsibilities or other functions, there can be a a, a very tangible way that. Yeah, emotional trauma can influence nerve function in different ways. Is that just kind of natural in our brains that we suppress memory, like traumatic experiences? Is that just like something that happens without even like our awareness? Awareness, yeah. I believe so. I I believe so. That yeah. Again, we don't. It is a. It's a subconscious defense mechanism, really. Yeah. That's why. That's why. Sometimes with. This may be a little bit off subject, but sometimes with this neural activation technique that I do, act- activating certain nerves, sometimes people will have emotional releases oh, where memories or really emotional circumstances or experiences yeah, just come, come, come to the forefront of their mind. Why was that? Huh. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it has nothing to do with the neural treatment, but these are the things that I'm seeing and, and questioning and exploring. Yeah. I've my, heard, yeah. My belief is that the nerve, the specific nerve tract, if we're working on the bottom, you know, the ankles, all the way from the ankle up into the spine, up into the brain, somewhere on that nerve tract that we just worked on activating, mm-hmm. there must have been some neurological information and memory of that event or circumstance yep, that came to the was. front of their mind. So I've had people that have broken down, broke down in tears on the table that have said, you know, for the for the first time in 20 years, I'm aware of the fact that I'm 100 pounds overweight. 
I didn't even realize it. It's just been so suppressed, it's even been though. So suppressed. And that's like, like, yeah, that one's like wild too, Isn't because that, it's yeah. like physically you see yourself <laughs> yeah, like every yeah, single yeah, day. You yeah. you should know you're it. Carrying that hundred, yeah. you're carrying it, but then like all of a sudden, and this isn't a bash on obesity. I don't want no, that to come but off. it's a problem. It, it is a problem yeah. in the United States. Like I, there's, I don't know the numbers. You look it up. It's clearly a challenge in the United States, and like heart disease is like the number yeah. one killer in the United States. So it's but. What I think, just going back, we're talking about is just suppressing the body's like natural defense mechanism. I think, like you said, that that's the best way. It's like your body's just natural. Like that was bad. Don't think about it. We got to move forward. We just got to keep going, keep moving forward. We don't need to deal with that. And so, what happens when we adopt that behavior, whether consciously or unconsciously? Yeah, we're creating a new series of. Nerve, nerve circuits in the brain. So neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity, learning new behaviors. So if you want to learn to play the guitar, you pick up the guitar, you have no idea what you're doing. You practice, you practice, you practice, you practice, you practice, you practice. You're highlighting and using a very specific sequence of neurons in yep. your brain, and you're ingraining that into your subconscious. So now 50 mm. years from now, even in, in cases of dementia where people have neurological issues they can still sit down and play the piano that of a song they learned when years ago yeah. and that's because the nervous system has hardwired and ingrained a new sequence of of how it's firing right it's an ingrained neural circuit and that's in the subconscious mind and that same concept gets driven into motor control of the nerves compensations so the example i like to give people back to this idea mm -hmm. that the nerves control human movement or the nerves control muscle imbalances or chronic pain is what I look at. I look at the nerves to see is the nerve that is responsible for that function. Is that the problem? And a lot of times it, it is. And when we get that nerve operating, that's where we, you know, we see these chronic cases that a lot of, most of my clients have been through the ringer. They've been to standard healthcare, they've been through alternative healthcare, they've been to Mayo Clinic, they, yep. and they're scheduled for really intense surgeries a lot of times. And I'm the last stop, and, and a lot of cases we're able to clear up, and it's with it's by looking at the nerves. So back to back to this idea of of uh, compensations in the nervous nervous system. Mm -hmm. So we we're talking about <coughs> creating new neural circuits and everything, right? Yeah. Okay. So we'll use. Back to your example of the knee. Yeah. So you busted up your right knee. Right. Right. So Vince has an injury to his right knee, and in the acute phase of healing, that right knee, first you're probably debilitated, right? You probably can't walk. Yep. And so right away, boom, traumatic injury. Your body already, as a defense mechanism, is going to lock up that joint. It's mm -hmm. going to create inflammation and do all this stuff, which is we are very blessed to have that function yep but the body's saying hold on boom put it on lock something's bad here let's hold on to that but your subconscious is maybe saying dude i'm in a fight for my life and, I, and my knees busted i still gotta get away yeah so what does your body do to get away it quickly alters again that neural se sequence yeah to recruit the muscles that are still going to help you compensate so i'm going too deep you injured your right knee you're in the acute phase of healing mm -hmm. you walk with an altered gait right yes so the altered gait a lot of times looks like a limp so now we'll say theoretically your legs yep not even theoretically this is real are designed to carry 
50% of force output, output, whatever that may be, 50% yep. on the right, 50% on the left, 50% on the right, 50% on the left. So if you think of that movement again, the yep. nerve, a specific neural firing sequence makes those muscles fire. Now all of a sudden you have to walk with a limp and you're injured on the right leg. So now your nervous system is going to recruit and compensate and that's going to look like, we'll say, 75% on the left, 25% on the right. right. 75%, 25 on the right. So every step you take with this altered gait, yeah. your nervous system is hardwiring a new know, yeah. sequence of firing that gets ingrained into the subconscious. Yeah. So now, even though you're healed up and running and moving, it's, it's very possible that your body is still neurologically overusing your left side, left side yeah. and underusing your right side. That's yes. very common because it gets hardwired. It's a new learned behavior in the subconscious yep. that gets driven in there and it sticks. Yeah. And so a lot of the cases I see, not to be negative or scare you or anything, but no. a lot of the cases I see are people who have dealt with these issues for years and years and years. And finally, it, it just kind of... The, their symptoms kind of crept and crept and crept and then there's a there's a breakdown and then when we do full analysis and assessment we get weeks into their case sometimes usually we're finding that yes there is a neural imbalance in here so how do we test the nerve imbalance we use different diagnostic tools different muscle tests things like that to assess yes this mu this this muscle has this much strength this one doesn't mm -hmm. so that it is there formal research on this there is some you know, there is some out there. Am I hooking people up to a meter and saying you have this much? No, there are practitioners that do that. Yeah. But it's I've seen enough of it and I've seen enough cases that, that have resolved through this, this approach that there's not a doubt in my mind that right. that this is a big piece. It's not the only piece. Right. The work I'm doing isn't superior to anything else. It's actually a great complement to every other modality that's out there mm -hmm. because it acts as a catalyst when the nerves are functioning and that region is highlighted neurologically and awake and aware, yeah. then you're going to have a better response to your acupuncture. You're going to have a better response to your chiropractic adjustment. You're going to have a better response to your surgery, to pretty much any anything you're doing, really, in yeah. terms of healthcare. Interesting. Yeah, so it's it's... I'm really focused on assessing the neurologic function as it relates to human biomechanics. Yeah. Because when we compensate biomechanically or, or we have these compens, you know, we walk with an altered gait. Yep. Now we see force distribution that overloads joints and wear and tear over time. Right. Yeah. I, I definitely can speak a hundred percent to that. I mean, it's I, for a long time post-surgery, my left hip was starting to have yeah. be a little achy yeah. and it's because i and I, I actually might still do this because like now you have me thinking i'm like well what are like the little things that like i've kind of picked up since my since my surgery and it's like one of the things i think i do is when i stand i kind of stand on my left, left foot side, yeah. i like just put weight on my left yeah. foot and like i said i noticed just for a while my hip was was doing overloaded, like, overloaded. Yeah. yeah and so I, I just again like at this point like it's like okay I just haven't really dealt with it or thought with it, it. Yeah, yeah I haven't yeah. like thought about it much yeah. but like it's it's come up in my mind I'm like oh that's something and then like I just yeah. get distracted so we're bringing this into not to get way way deep on it but we're yeah. getting into your we're bringing this to your conscious mind now exactly so you can actually on your own start the process of correcting this we'll say you have a neural we'll hypothesize yeah, that you have a neural imbalance 
now that it's in your conscious and we're talking about this and it's in your conscious mind, every time you catch yourself leaning on that left leg, you can start doing your own yeah. repatterning, we call it, by balancing by out balancing your weight. Out, yeah. And what does that do? That tells the nervous system that wants to say, there's still an injury here, back to trauma, right? Right. This isn't necessarily an emotional trauma, although there definitely is emotions behind <laughs> I it. I was like, there was a lot yeah, of emotion behind it. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're bringing that to the conscious mind. Yeah. And you can start to repattern that to some degree on your own. Oh, for, for a, sure. For a great degree on your own. There gets to be a point where in neural activation that having an outside stimulus gives a different of response. Course. But yeah. So some things you're going to want to watch for, Vince, with your right knee injury is you're going to want to pay attention to your right ankle and foot to make sure that you're not having a collapsed arch mm. or you, you don't get weird numbness or tingling or chronic cramping in the bottoms of your feet or calf cramping on the right foot especially, even up into yeah. into like, up into the core and up in, up into the, the low back as well. You'll want to make sure that you're keeping an eye out for those things because sometimes, again, if the if the nerve function is diminished to that region, yeah. it's not optimal. It's there. It's working. It's, yeah, it's not course. optimal. Yeah. No, that, that all makes sense. That's uh, And like I said, it's something that I maybe not – I'm now consciously thinking about for myself so um i feel like i had a question there but sorry no 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 it's fine it's yeah it's just it's a lot to think about and i think for anyone listening it's who maybe has experienced something like this this is good it's good to just start thinking about little things like this like oh yeah what is different maybe post a surgery or post a injury or whatever and um yeah, like you said, oh, this was something that you were, when you were talking. So when, okay, let's say I'm like sitting, I'm, I'm washing dishes and I realize, oh, I'm overloading my left leg. Do you recommend overloading your right leg to compensate or just balancing out? It's a good question. Yeah, because I mean, there, there can be a point where now yeah. you start to overload. This is, this yeah. is my, that's not necessarily a bad approach. But what we don't want to do is get somebody in the habit of overloading now. Exactly. Then, so what I would recommend is consciously even out the balance, okay. right? Even weight distribution, and then put your mind on your right hip. Mm. Put your mind on your right hip as you're standing there. Because yeah. even that thought process of thinking what's going on in my right knee is using nerves. And yes. it's using most likely... Maybe not. It's most likely using some of the nerves that are associated with that. If nothing else, it's increasing your awareness of that region so that if you're out on a run, now yeah. you might be more aware of, the, of a subtle imbalance on that, on that joint that might cause you to say, oh, I'm not going to push the extra two miles because yeah. I'm aware of that. Where if it's so repressed, that region of your body, again, not your fault, but because of Just, yeah. different reasons... You might go out and run, 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 and run, and and do some damage to the joint in your knee or another joint. Not right. necessarily, but it's possible, and I see it. I see it day in and day out. It's, you know, and this. So what ended up happening? Um, I tore my LCL, like in at, at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I just got caught in a weird position and tore my LCL. But this which even, you, which you can hear the full story at the Pohada podcast. <laughs> yeah, shout out to yeah. the Grouse and the Pohada podcast. Good job on that podcast, by the way. That was Thank a really you. Yeah. One. Yeah, yeah, people, yeah, quick little side note, check out the Pohada podcast, it's P-O-R-R-A-D-A, um, the dude, Matt Brose, Matt Brouse, he's, uh, yeah, he's just 
got this beautiful, silky smooth voice, and it's it's a jujitsu podcast. So I, he was lucky, or I was lucky. He was nice enough to include me and have me on as a guest. First time being a the guest on a podcast, which was it was fun. Um, but yeah, I can sh- I share that full story there. So if you want to hear that full thing, check it out there. But back to what I was saying is. This makes me think, so prior to this injury, I ran, and I, I mentioned this on that podcast as well, I ran two marathons. Um, and the first marathon, I think I got a little stress fracture in my left knee. Now, it went away. It went away after I st- after I ran the marathon, and I decided, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to run for a while. I'm just going to let my body recover. Yeah. It, it healed. So the left knee was perfectly fine after the marathon. The second marathon I ran... I did, I went for like an 11 mile run and the next morning I woke up and I'm like, oh, the outside of my knee, which is where, so your LCL is on the outside. Lateral. Yeah, lateral. Yeah. Which again, for me, I, I did not know any of, any of that stuff. So someone listening, yeah, you got like the ACL, PCL, MCL, LCL, FCL, which is the same thing as the LCL. So there's a lot of like CLs and so yeah. yeah, lateral, outside. An injury to any one of them is scary. Yes. Yeah. It sucks. And then you have like your meniscus and all that shit. So, but I, like I said, went for an 11 mile run, just normal. But the next day I woke up and I'm like, my right knee hurts. Almost same spot. I got this injury. Couldn't really train normally afterwards. Like every time I went for a run, it really hurt. Me being me, this, I this the outside of the right knee. Now? Yep, outside of the okay. right knee. Okay, ran the ran the full marathon, like about mile three or four into the marathon. Yeah. Knee started hurting. I ended up finishing. And how long was this before your your jujitsu injury? Uh, I ran that marathon in twenty sixteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. So a few years. Four or five years. Yeah. It's, yeah, because it's what, I hurt myself 20. 2020, so yeah, four, about, about four okay. years. Okay. Four yeah. years prior, um, I hurt this knee, and then after the marathon, I kind of just stopped running, like, in, in general. Now, during COVID, I started, pick, I picked up running again, because I'm like, well, yeah. it's, it's it's something to do. Yeah. Get outside, just do yeah, something. absolutely. And the knee started hurting. So it, it was the same exact injury, same but like spot. same spot, same pain, but like a little more dulled. Yeah. And so I was and like, this again is pre-injury. This is all pre-injury. So I kind of built up to, I think during COVID, I built up again to like running eight, maybe 10 miles. And then it started hurting. I'm like, eh, I'm going to stop doing that again. Yeah. Stopped doing that. And then end of 2020. Yeah. I hurt this knee. Yeah. And, so, and no, yeah, again, the, the injury, what was surprising about it is it wasn't like a heel hook. It wasn't a, it wasn't a submission type injury. It was, uh, for, okay. I, I'm not going to get into like the details of, of jujitsu because maybe you, you okay. feel like your body should have had the integrity to be able to, I've been, I've that. been put in that position many times before. And been no perfectly problem. been perfectly fine. Yeah. This time I get put in it, get swept, and pop 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 pop. Yep. Like it just all fine. it just fails. And so my thought process was like, man, I didn't. I'm confused. Like it would be different if I didn't tap to a heel hook, which inherently attacks yeah. the knee. Absolutely. Very different. I was put in that position, so I'm like, 
was this just inevitable? Like, did I, was I just like bound to have this failure? So your your mind, are you? Can I go in? On yeah, this yeah, for yeah. A yeah, yeah. Of course. So your mindset is right where the type of mine is as well. So we're gonna keep using your case as a as an example. Yeah, if you're my, you know, if you're my client. I love it. This is a free so free here, service. So here we have a prior history where the body's talking to you. Yeah. You're running and there's this pain on the right side of the knee Mm -hmm. and then you're done, you're done with your marathon. And then another time you run and there's pain on the outside of the knee. That's what we call a pattern, right? So you have a pattern (laughs) on that right side of the knee. So your body's telling you something is going on with the right side of the knee. Yep. The way that I look at this is that, I would say, okay, you're getting you're getting pain on the right side of your knee every time you run. Yeah. Back to, I'm going to keep coming back to our template that we used earlier, what moves a muscle, what moves a bone. The muscles that are responsible for the movement of that right knee were imbalanced, causing this altered gait or altered function of the joint. Right. Why were the muscles imbalanced? It could be that you didn't do enough clamshells or you didn't do enough burpees or enough exercise mm-hmm. or you didn't stretch enough that's very possible and those are all very beneficial things right the way i would look at it is i would hypothesize that the nerves or nerve that goes to the muscles that we would find that are imbalanced we'd have to do an assessment right but we'll say that we found that the the quads one of the quads on the right side of your leg and then maybe one of the adductor muscles on the inside of your leg yeah we'll just say that those were really spasmy tight and causing an imbalance causing the knee joint to not move optimally so every step you took in your run was actually causing friction mm. and inflammation and which eventually registers as pain on the outside of your knee yeah so wear and tear over time my theory would be that because of diminished nerve function why is the nerve diminished that's the deep work that you got to solve that's a problem you got to solve and over time that imbalance and that compensation was wearing away the cartilage on the lcl Mm -hmm. to the point where it was not able to withstand a force that you believe it should have it should have the integrity to withstand so your your injury in this case most likely just like you're onto was the straw that broke the camel's back that's what so I, to it, speak it feels like it because like we said, have a prior history and we see this that your body again your body's telling you something's not right here the joint's not moving right right why is the joint not moving right check the muscles yep the muscles are way out of balance this side is not doing anything this side is doing way Everything, too much yeah. why are the muscles in balance through neural assessments, lumbar nerve three, lumbar nerve four, lumbar nerve two. Maybe it's one of those three nerves that go to those muscles we talked about. Mm -hmm. And if through assessment we see that and we activate the nerve, that's how eventually re-exercising that nerve, making sure that nerve is firing and awake, downstream after going through the process of activating that nerve, muscles that are too tight relax and balance and the muscles that are Mm. inactive on that nerve start to wake up and then over time that imbalance in the knee corrects itself now the work i do is a whole process it's not just that i activate a nerve and that changes everything 
it's a whole process of neural activation, all the chemi- biochemistry, all the physics, everything we talked about, and then also corrective exercise and functional movement as well, because that is right. very, very important. But like I said before, if the nerve function to the muscles that you're trying to strengthen or you're trying to balance or you're, you have chronic knots in your shoulder and they're there and they don't go away and they're there and then you work on them and they're gone and it keeps coming back, when we see a repetitive pattern, look at the nerves. Look at the nerves. Yeah. And that's kind of what my whole paradigm is about. And so when I have a case that comes in mm. and it's a, it's a 35-year-old female that is scheduled for full cervical spinal fusion from the base yeah. of her head to the middle of her back oh, because of such severe pain in her, in her head and neck and she's taking eight or nine over-the-counter painkillers every day just to get through. And we do an assessment and we find out, sure enough, the, the C3 nerve that, go, excuse me, that goes to the muscles to stabilize the neck and some of the deep picky muscles that nobody talks about on the front of the neck yeah. are imbalanced because nerve isn't firing due to whiplash that she had 15 years ago in a concussion. Mm. Now those muscles that are stabilizing the neck, even though she went through a whole process of therapies to strengthen the neck and strengthen the neck... It wasn't, the muscles weren't getting the nerve function that they needed. So we activate the nerve function. This is a true story. Two weeks later, the the -the over-the-counter painkillers are done, and we still keep in touch. She checks in once in a while now, and she's not a candidate for surgery at all. She's skiing. She's biking. She's living life. And this is, and we could, I have a lot of cases we could talk about. And again, I'm saying this humbly. It's just a different way to look at chronic repetitive injuries that isn't really being looked at yeah. through this lens. It's beautiful. It's it's, it's be- beautiful. I mean like that is I after going through surgery, I would do anything to avoid ever going into surgery again. Yeah. It's truly debilitating. I mean, one there's an emotional trauma to it. I I make jokes about the stories that but like I was very madly Absolutely. depressed, Absolutely. like for a, a long time. You can ask my girlfriend; she Absolutely. bless her soul because she had to deal with it for a lot. Um, but then, just the the physical toll it took it took on me. I, I was popping oxy for yeah. for a couple of days. I literally went through like withdrawals because of that. Yeah. Like just all that shit. I gained twenty pounds from not being able to get up and work out. My workout was like yeah. curls and shoulder presses. Couldn't poop for two weeks. Couldn't, of yeah, oxy, yeah, couldn't poop. Like there. Uh, don't go into surgery if you don't have to. But, like, that's the thing is, like, at that time, I'm being told... And I, I still do think that surgery was the right thing for, for me. If, I if you, 100% if you do. you tore a ligament, get yeah. that thing fixed. Get, get it fixed because, I mean, I'm being told, like... I asked my doctor because, trust me, I didn't want to. But I asked him, like, hey, what's going to happen if I don't get surgery? He's like, most likely you're going to... It's going to heal up all wanky and, and super weird. Now, this is just adding to exactly what you're saying. He's like, it's going to heal up off balance. And then you're going to, yeah, you're going to just in, get like slips all the time. You're going to get arthritis in the knees. And you're like, he's like, you're 25. Yeah. He's like, you don't, you'll have arthritis probably by 30. Yeah. Do you really want that? And my grandma, she's got terrible arthritis. And like, I've, so I, I know what that's like just yeah. from seeing her like my entire life. No, I don't want arthritis. I don't want that shit. So I, that's why, for Ironically me, enough, Vince, I, yeah. I'm working a new case just this last week that 
I referred out to get an orthopedic assessment on the LCL because this this client had, I believe, has a, ru- a ruptured LCL or something's not right with it. And exactly like we're talking about, yeah. she never got it fixed, has just been toughing it out, and here we are, has, has to walk with a cane, a very altered gait, mm. and the, the lower leg, you know, the lower leg shifts out to the side at 20, 30 degrees. And when we, you know, when we check it, it, it moves. So you did the right thing. Yeah. And that's, I'm not, I want to make this clear. I'm, I'm not anti-medicine. No. I'm not anti-surgery. Yeah. Especially when something is torn and we got to reattach it, get that thing put back together. For sure. But don't yeah. think that that's where it stops. It, yes. And, and that's, and don't think that your six weeks or eight weeks of PT and strengthening is where it stops. Because unless they're looking at the the function of the nerve to those muscles that they're trying to strengthen, yep, it there's going to be some unle- some work left undone. Yeah, and that's actually something I was talking. You know, you know Julian yeah, um, yeah, from from the gym. Yeah, yeah. shout out Julian. He's so like, Vince and I train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu yes. at the same place. I don't yeah. know if we ever. I don't, I don't know if we ever. That. We talked about Jiu Jitsu, so people yeah. might yeah. maybe have picked up. But yeah, we that's how we know each other. We tra- oh, we, we started with that. Yeah, um, and a guy, a buddy of, of ours, Julian, uh, he had surgery on his ankle as well, or he had surgery on his ankle, the kind of around the same time I had my yeah. knee surgery. So we were talking about like the PT, and I'm like, we both like agreed, we're like, man, I should have been doing PT my whole life, yeah. like something like because now like every morning I do like PT basically yep. I do like even though like I feel very strong and very confident now with my knee clearly I'm back at jiu-jitsu I'm doing yeah. like full rolls and everything yeah. but I've noticed I'm like oh I just my legs actually feel stronger nice. just by doing these little things and like so I we don't need to do this on, on here but like I want to pick your brain about yeah. like certain activities and yeah. stuff like that but again we can do that offline um, yeah dude it's like you said it's Something that it's, I, I was also blessed too. I really think my physical therapist, he truly did do a good job at looking at these things. Maybe not to the extent that you're doing. I think that he, we never even talked about like nerves and stuff like that, but he, they were very much about like the whole like gate. Are you balanced? Like yeah. are, they were fo- very focused. I mean, like I still do, I'm going in a few weeks to get testing done. Nice. Um, and they, compare left leg to right leg and they're like you're you're not going to be good until these numbers of all these tests your squat you're doing your pistol squats in the same level like because i have pictures they take like full 360 pictures of me doing squats like single leg squats and they're like you see you're just you're still not there yeah so so do these workouts and like but see again they're they're like do these workouts to get you there And and it's helped it's worked absolutely but it's now I'm thinking I'm like can I even can I maybe expedite can I make it even that much better by focusing now on the nerves and like if focusing we get on the chemistry on, if we get the nerves on board the results that you're going to have from your physical therapy I would put good money on it are going to be better results so much better and yeah longer lasting that's and, beautiful and this is great do your PT I love the work that PTs are doing yeah and and more often than not that's what it takes to get you back where you need to be right, right. but if a year down the road, two years down the road, three years down the road, you start to develop weird symptoms or pain or unexplainable phenomenon yeah. that in a region that's associated with that part of the body, or even if it's not, 
get get on it, don't wait. You know, if you if you notice yes, that repetitive yeah. pattern, get on it and talk to some type of healthcare professional that focuses on movement. Whatever, yeah. Movement. Yeah, dude, movement. That is I mean that's just such a such a huge aspect of it. Just and like functional movement. Like I've a lot of my life, my movement, when I think of like working out and like the sports I've played, it's all straight line. Yeah. So like I think I've squatted, deadlifted, hang cleans, tons of um, bench, bench, bench pressing, yeah, just like even the rows and like yeah. it's all straight lines. So yeah. like now I'm like, okay, I still like doing those straight line exercises, like I, I deadlift and squat yeah. and stuff like that because they have their place and they're Absolutely. super awesome. Absolutely. But I also now like doing like I think it's called like dragon squats. Is that like where it's like you no no curtsy squats? Oh yeah. I, I thought yeah. dragon dragon was like but like so stuff like that where like the curtsy squat you bring your one leg to the back and so now you're kind of like off balance it's, like, it's just yeah, yeah it's more dynamic now you're working like the little hip muscles you're working exactly. little ankles and stuff like that it's i'm just finding or like do you know ito portel i do not okay you should look into him he's got my brother introduced me to him he his style of movement and like just flow it's a very flowy yeah. he calls it locomotion yeah cool. so it's like on the ground you like primal movements primal movements exactly. exactly you're crawling you're rolling you're doing and it's perfect for jujitsu because yeah. that's exactly what we're yeah. doing is we're rolling with another human trying to choke us and doing stuff like that but it's also just it unlocks it gets your body like you said it unlocks things that you never knew like you could do or like you you haven't done since you were a little baby like rolling around on the ground and like that's why I love jujitsu too is because that it inherently I will unlock that's why people are so awkward you ask someone to shrimp who's never shrimped before absolutely so weird it's it's like I took it took me so long to understand what the hell I was doing with the shrimp yeah because it's just one of those moves that you don't you'll never do yeah. Name a time in life that you're gonna shrimp. You're never gonna do it I don't know. <laughs> outside of jujitsu. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, that was like a little tangent there. Yeah. But primal movements, primal moving, movements, moving yeah. the way that the human being was designed to move. Exactly. Now I'm not an evolutionist. I'm a creationist, but I do believe that our bodies resemble primates, mm-hmm. right? Monkeys. We're very close to monkeys. And what are some things that monkeys can still do that we can't do? one of them is going to be hang. Mm. We have lost our, humans have lost their ability to hang. Mm. Unless you're a gymnast or yeah. you know, some crossfitters, you got that down. But, yeah. you know, we've lost our ability to hang. We've lost our ability to crawl on all fours. We don't work well in these very dynamic, right. primal movements. And so the, what you're talking about is working on getting your body <clears throat> comfortable moving, twisting, turning, and all these movements the way that our design, body's designed to move. Yeah. And why is that important? Because if we're only doing our linear exercises, as you mentioned, straight in one line, yep. and we're only doing those, and we're only doing those, to some degree we're going to encourage a muscle imbalance. Mm. And again, a muscle imbalance causes a joint to be imbalanced because the muscles move the bones. Yep. And if the joint is imbalanced, friction inflammation, deterioration, degeneration, pain, yeah. symptoms, now you're injured. Yes. Right? It's just continuing to trace it back. And I've talked right. very heavily about the acute phase of the work I do. That's all about when somebody first comes to see me <clears throat> and the assessment of the nerves. Yeah. I work in a three-phase uh, three process, and 
depending on where you fall in that spectrum is where we're going to start you. So the three-phase process is, the number one, the acute phase where it's very neurologic, you know, fine-tuning things. We've talked about that a lot. Phase two is where I get people into primal movements. Now we're going to use body weight and we're going to start to add some resistance to the work that we did. Now the nerves are firing. That's fantastic. But if we only activate the nerves and we don't strengthen the muscles, mm-hmm. we don't have that, that physical structural integrity that we want as well. And then from there, people can progress all the way into weight-bearing exercises with functional training and functional movement and human performance and things like that. So yeah. the, the work I do is a spectrum. I I really feel called to focus on the really complex cases that people are scheduled for surgeries and they're, they're having a hard time sleeping and they can't walk anymore and they can't live their life. That's where my heart is. But to keep things fresh, it's fun to work with elite athletes as well and work on you know, seeing the, the body as a machine. And again, you can, you can drive a Honda or you can drive a Ferrari and Hondas are great, but yeah. you, you know, sometimes it's fun to, to cruise a, for sure. to cruise a Ferrari. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, spectrum and uh depending on where people are at is where i I put people in and that's where we pick up and and roll with so that being i just wanted to excuse me put that out there to make it clear that i'm not i'm not saying that it's only the nerves or it's only the chemistry or it's only the physics it's structural strengthening as well yes and functional movements weight bearing is huge yeah so those three pieces are really my my go-to and my and then in there i use the tools that i i need to use to get people through that process definitely so where does food play into this diet oh, man. yeah <laughs> we need more tea we need more tea quick Which, little tea break uh is that going to be detriment let's no. no let's keep rolling let's keep, keep rolling, rolling. Do we have, i think i got some in here too. okay go what's for it, this yeah. one by the way that one's the warrior's boost so warrior's that's boost. uh that's custom a custom blend right yeah that's my custom blend that's uh Yerba mate. So yerba mate is not truly tea. Um, if you, yeah, just a quick little tea side note on the tea podcast. It's uh, yerba mate is a South American uh, origin originated plant, and um, I don't actually know much about the plant itself. Like, wasn't it ceremonial usage, or am I way off on that? I, no, I don't. I've never really heard much about ceremony. I'm sure in like yes, in history it has been ceremonial today's day it is just the beverage of just social gatherings Mm. it is like in south america people are walking around with like thermoses just like in preparation just to go and sit down and hang out with their friends and there's uh there's just there's kind of like a ceremonial process to yerba mate where you the way you do it is you have your thermos you usually have your bombilla and your guampa those are the the traditional. I can show you. I have one inside. Um, that's like the gourd. It's a it's a leather bound gourd typically hmm. that you drink, and the bombilla, bombilla is a straw. So it's like it's it's this metal straw. You fill this gourd up with the yerba mate. Yeah. You pour the hot water over it. I let you drink. You drink the whole thing. Then you pour the hot water over it. You give it back to me. I drink the whole thing. So there's like and then like yeah. or actually it might be. Where one person's kind of like the tea master for gotcha. per se. I'm I'm kind of making that word up for this, and they might have a proper name. But so if like we're in like a group of if it's just like three of us or something, I'll pour, serve to you. Cool. You drink, you give it back to me. I pour, I serve to the next person. They drink, and then you just kind of do that. And then like once everyone else is done, I drink. Cool. Now this is that that was a little tangent. This blend, Yerba Mate has a very strong bitter 
vegetal tastes. I mean, I'm sure you, you kind of yeah. picked up on that. So I blended it with a gunpowder green tea. So that is a pan-fired green style green tea. It's a Chinese green tea. And so I paired it with that. And then to smooth it out, I added lemongrass. I think that that blends very well with the vegetal type green tea flavor. And then orange peel. So the orange peel adds a different note, like the lemongrass and then the orange peel. It's a little bit of different citrus. And the lemon peel actually adds a little bit of kind of even a little bitter because the peel is a little bit more bitter than like the sweet actual fruit of a lemon or an orange or something like that. So that's that blend. Um, Super high in caffeine because yerba mate, especially if you've never had yerba mate before, it's some people can like quote unquote trip on it. And I say quote unquote because you're not tripping yeah. but like the i can feel it man. yeah I, I, you and i know i we drank the and puer yeah and puer also has a lot of caffeine so yeah. we're, we're we're jazzed up yeah, right now dude, I can feel it. and it's um yeah it's it's good stuff uh that's why i call it my warrior's boost i like taking it before it's like a pre-workout it's oh, kind of nice. like my pre-workout I, I liked it before jujitsu um or just if i need a good caffeine boost for the day be take on the day yeah. that's why i uh, love it yeah that's why love i drink it. that but um yeah so back to the the food yeah food this is a huge huge topic yeah because i mean i it's a it's a lot like that i know people who are doing the work that you're talking about but they they're focused strictly on the diet and nutrition so they're called functional nutritional therapy practitioners fntps um i've had a few of them on on the show i'm going to be talking with them some more because they have the same stance, same belief as you where cool. let's break this down and take a methodical approach to what's going on like with the system. The system, yeah. Yeah. So which that, which guess was that so I can check it out? And yeah, that was, I believe, episode 5 or 10, I want to say, uh, Kelsey Anderson. Cool. And uh, yeah, she, super cool, super awesome, um, and soon I'm going to be having another... Another lady on, uh, her name's Kate Kroll. She, um, yeah, just cool. super awesome women. And um, I love hearing their perspectives on this because... I will definitely check those out. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to get through all of them now that I've been a guest. Now that you've been a guest. I wanted, I wanted oh, to I before I'm on here. But few, <laughs> you know, I've been listening, but I'm a few behind, but I'll catch hey, up. Hey, man. I'll catch up. I, I appreciate that. But, okay. But yeah, let's get into this. Okay, so food now. This is a huge subject. And yeah. It can be a very frustrating subject. I went, Definitely. when I was in grad school first time around, I, I really went heavy into nutrition. I still am always ex- exploring. Right. Uh, but it, to some degree, is, is like philosophy. You know, you can go in circles and you can go in circles and one person says this and one person says that. So exactly. My stance is it's very, very bio-individual. So it's, nice, it's yeah. different person to person. My personal philosophy is always looking at human origins again, right? Yep. So I look at what are the foods that maybe the, the homo sapien, the human organism, was designed to eat? Mm-hmm. And what are some of the foods that we maybe weren't designed to eat so much? Right. Okay? So that's how I look at it because that doesn't matter your DNA. It doesn't matter where you're from. To some degree, there are certain foods that humans probably should eat, humans probably shouldn't eat. That's part of where I'm at. But he, food is everything, you know. It, it would is. you? 
Man, where do we even start with this? <laughs> where do we even start with this? So, so food and human function, right? Yeah. So, if you're eating foods that are causing inflammation, mm-hmm. inflammation's a hot topic. Yep. If you're eating foods that are causing systemic inflammation, inflammation in the whole body, you got problems. Right. That can be inflammation in the brain and nervous system that manifests as mood disorders. That can be pain in the joints that manifests as chronic pain mm-hmm. or pain that's causing you to compensate or arthritis. Um, you can have responses from foods that are causing allergy-like symptoms. Headaches are very common with people who are eating foods that their body doesn't agree with. Yeah. So there's so many pieces that are involved when we're talking about what to eat and when and why. For sure. But yeah. it has a it's it's kind of everything. It's it's we're literally feeding our body the raw materials that it needs to rebuild and operate. It's our fuel source, right? Exactly. So would you put E eighty five ethanol in a private jet? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, just wouldn't, yeah, it it's, wouldn't work. It's, it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to, yeah. It's not going to work. It's literally not going to fuel. And maybe that's not the greatest example, but would you put E85 in, in our Ferrari that we're talking about? Yeah. You know, probably, probably not because the performance isn't going to be the same. It's going to cause wear and tear on the engine and mm-hmm. all the machinery. And eventually you're going to mess up your, your machine. Right. And to some degree, that's the same with what we decide to put in our bodies. Yeah. So food is absolutely huge. Any specific questions about it? That yeah, we well, because you talked about on? fasting, so oh, yeah, this is this fasting. is something. And it, for the, the true listeners of this podcast, it's it's beautiful. So episode two, I recorded is fasting and tea. Yeah. That was I recorded it day four of a fast. That's awesome. So I was doing a four day fast, and so um, now I had a I had another guy on. Um, oh yeah, he's another guy you should, you should really listen to, uh, Jay Feldman. His, I don't remember what number episode it was, but he is, sim- again, similar. I don't know if he actually calls himself like an FNTP, but similar, similar paradigm, yeah. similar paradigm, but he's got a very different approach and he's not against fast. We go really into deep in, yeah. into fasting, cool. but he's not a proponent of fasting. Really? He thinks that you can get all the benefits of fasting from the proper food intake. Okay. And and the negatives that are associated with fasting, you won't get. So he's oh. like, he's like, I can get all the benefits of fasting yeah. without the negatives of fasting from eating a proper diet really? and fueling myself properly. Interesting. Super. Yeah, check that out because sure. he's got some great points, and I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. And I've fa- and like I experimented with. So I experimented with intermittent fasting for multiple years. Yeah, it was. It, I I loved it. Like for the most part, I loved it. I got to a point where like I was eating like one meal a day. Yeah, I didn't love that so much because the one meal would be a very large meal, and afterwards I would feel like shit. Yeah. Now, was I eating maybe the best food for that meal? Probably not. I probably was was not fueling myself with the with the greatest food, so I would like spike maybe my insulin and, yeah. and crash. Like maybe that's like why why it would be, or I wouldn't ease back in out of ketosis. So there's there's like some of that stuff. Um, and a- again, after my surgery, I was like, okay, fasting creates stress in the body. 
I'm already, my body's on, already under a lot of stress. I'm just going to eat normally throughout the quote unquote normally yeah. throughout yeah. the day where wake up, eat a light meal and just eat like small meals throughout the day just to keep the fuel constantly yeah. going to help, yeah. re- help with the repair process. Yeah. And since then I've been pretty much doing that. And like after talking to now Kelsey, she's kind of the same way. Now granted she works strictly with women. Oh. So cool. there's a lot, when we talk about fasting, a lot of differences between men and women. Yes. Um, so you work strictly with women, and she's not a proponent for women to fast, especially women in their reproductive yes. years. She's like, it really can throw off your hormones, and really just that that kind of fucks up the whole body for a yeah. woman. Now, men, she's like, I do see there's a benefit uh, for men, but she's like, again, she doesn't really work with men, so yeah. she she's like, and doesn't really talk to it too yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, like I, I'm so conflicted. I hear so many amazing things and I've experienced so many amazing things with fasting, but then I've also talked with people who are a lot smarter than me when it comes to this stuff and they convince me like, all right, well you don't need to fast. You can actually do these things. And I don't know. So I'm, I'm, this is a, I love this topic. I want to hear from you just where you, I'd be happy to, to share kind of what works for me yeah because again and that's the thing it's all experimenting with person to person exactly person to person i guess i want to start with what were some of the foods that you could eat on the fasting mimicking diet you're talking about some of the major foods that were recommended to stay in oh for that jay like was talking about or are you talking yeah yeah so he he's huge on basically again what you were saying like just whole foods will humans were meant to eat now one of his things that he actually is a big proponent of is um sugar from uh from fruit yeah from fruit he loves fruit he thinks that fruit is an amazing source and same with uh he's not super big into it but he's okay with like white rice yeah like so like it's like yeah like those like processed make sure it's organic everybody rice organic yeah a lot of arsenic yeah yeah sure organic, organic and yeah because he because he's like very against like nuts same, um same. Interesting. nuts and gotta, seeds um and but mostly vegetables good sourced meats i mean it's it's all similar stuff but just little nuances yeah. that like you don't always hear he was yeah. talking about. So that's why, again, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Cause, and again, at the end of the day, I think we all understand what is quote unquote healthy and what's not. Yeah. The processed crap of like just normal everyday yeah. restaurants, it's not going to be good for you. Like, like just, it's not. And it's going to be a lot of unsat or yeah, unsaturated oils that are used or polyunsaturated oils and i've only been recently enlightened by yeah by the whole poofas and and stuff oh, like yeah, that yeah. and how yeah. just yeah how unstable they are in our bodies and shit sounds like, that, like so. sounds like my kind of guy and i think it'd be really interesting for us to chat sometime and i'd like i'll listen to the, the episode you and should. for sure get a better yeah. idea of where he stands on i don't want to speak for him i'm totally open to hearing the perspective and i could very likely learn something yeah from that my personal view again Back to fasting, right? Yeah. I'm very much so, try it for yourself. Yep. And what's your experience? Why did you do a four-day fast? You've done, haven't you done like a five to seven day or something? No, four is, four is, four your... is my is my longest. Okay. I, I, so when, and this is why I talk about 
what I talk about mostly in like episode two of, of my podcast. I have listened to that. One. So there is, I do fasting for kind of three three reasons. One, disciplinary. It it teaches me and shows my I show myself I can say no. To things, Absolutely. you're going to be fine. You're, you're, we're all going to be fine if we fasted for four days. Oh, okay, Absolutely. I shouldn't say that, <laughs> but yeah. for the most part, like obviously, there are people who the maybe longest. maybe wouldn't be fine. But yeah. I I know for me personally, I'm gonna be fine yeah. without four days. I can go. I actually did the calculations, and like again, this was rough rough calculations. But like assuming I'm this percent body fat, assuming I burn my metabolic rate is this, yeah how long can I last without food? And yeah. like, it was like 60 days or oh, something. Yeah. And the I'm long, like, the longest medically induced fast is over one year. It's over a year. Yeah. It's like 395 yeah. days or something. Or we like can, 80 something. We can live for a long time without food. Yeah. It's, Especially it's the general population is carrying a little extra. That exactly. Fuel reserves. Exactly. So I do fasting for the disciplinary reasons, uh, to build up my mental strength, um, to be able to tell myself, no, you don't need this right now. Yeah. And so I do that. I do it for partial spiritual reasons. I have a lot of, I've had like men, like emotional and spiritual breakthroughs. Like on like, especially like the first couple fasts I've done yeah. really beautiful things. So, and especially when you go into a fast, setting an intention for the fast, really it's, it's profound. And would of. you, would you say that very likely the only way you would have come to that new understanding was through fasting most likely? You, Maybe if, I, you, if you hadn't fasted for that extended amount of time, do you feel like you'd have those discoveries? Maybe at a later and longer date. Gotcha. I think it. It's so like an ex- accelerator. It accelerates it. Kind of. I think it's a catalyst. Cool. It's cool. it accelerated that process for me. So I do it for yeah the disciplinary spiritual reasons and then um, autophagy. Yes, I, I think exactly. it's a good it's exactly. a good cleansing process. It's. It's a natural de- detox, just helps boost your body, like replenishes your entire immune system in like a three or four day fast. You basically have an entire new immune system. Exactly. So, which so in this day and age is, is it's uh, huge you know, in the in the cocoa era. In the cocoa, it's, I mean, it's, I'm, listening, I'm, I'm listening to a good good podcast by the way. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, very important. That immunity is very important. Very important. So, those are my three reasons. Um, I don't do it for. The weight loss per se. Granted, I when I did my first three day fast, I was also doing jujitsu normally every single day. Um, That's brutal. And I dropped at that point. I started the three day fast at like upper one eighties, so like one eighty nine, and I dropped to like one seventy one, and I was like, okay, this yeah. is not good. <laughs> like this, I was very very cut. I was yeah. very thin, and I'm like, okay. That's a- this is not healthy. I didn't feel like I didn't feel that good yeah. at the end of it. I felt super depleted. That's with that high activity. That, if you're not trained into that, that's going to be. It was, but you also like to train jujitsu fasted, like on a shorter I, fast. I do not a three day fast. Is that right. correct? That is correct. Yeah. I, I do. I'm the same, and I, even today now I went to an hour and fifteen minutes Beautiful, of hard yeah. sparring, and I feel light. I feel good. My energy's up, and mm-hmm. I'm not gassed when when I don't have all that fuel in the tank. Right now, if I'm not stocked up on minerals, electrolytes, hydrated. I don't have some of that fuel in the tank, then it probably won't feel so good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'm totally on board with that. Yeah, so so that's my experience, and I think if you're doing it for the for weight loss reasons, I think that's where 
and that's mostly what Jay's talking about is like the people who see it as a weight loss. And he talks mostly because, and it makes sense when you fast for a long time. And then when you start to incorporate food again, your body's going to be like, Ooh, food. I want to store this as fat because we might go into another fast, but I don't know when the next, next time I'm going to eat is. That's the beauty of intermittent fasting. That yes, that's the beauty of intermittent fasting is not pushing yourself so far into that zone that is becoming extremely stressful on the body, but giving it time to breathe and letting your hormones that are responsible for hunger and satiation match up on this cycle. So your body doesn't freak out and it doesn't go into that mode when your body knows that I get fed at 8 a.m. and your body knows I'm going to get fed at 6 p.m. and you do that for two to four, six weeks. If you don't, if you don't eat in the morning, you're going to be hungry at 8 a.m. And mm-hmm. if you don't eat until then and you push through, you're going to be hungry at this time. Because yep. it, our hormonal cycles will they'll catch up. Yep. They'll catch up to when we're giving that stimulus. Yeah. Uh, what was the specific question that... Just basically your... My take. Yeah, on, your okay, take. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So back to human origins again, right? I'm all yeah. about the human origins. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that... Or should I... I should, I should say this. Did humans always have an abundance of food to eat at any time they wanted to? No. How do we think that humans, our ancestors, probably ate before before grain, before we before harvesting and mm-hmm. yeah? You know, how how do you think humans ate at that point? Yeah, hunter, hunter, hunter I mean, gatherers. Hunter gatherers. It was very. I think that's what the paleo diet is, or yeah. even the carnivore diet. That's what people. Is that how you want to talk about carnivore? I, we I better th- not on this one. That, that's we'll save that I, for another day. I, I I think I know. Are you? Are you? I guess answer I did, this. Are did, you carnivore? I did are you? six weeks pure, strict, strict carnivore. carnivore. Okay. I was drinking one cup of black coffee in the morning, so not strict. It's carnivore, not strict. Yeah, yeah. And it was life changing. Really. But I hit a wall. I need carbs. I need. I love some, carbs. I need and some carbs. I and think I carbs found, are great. I found it's, that. When I've done keto, I found that in different low carb paleo jujitsu, dude. You do yeah, jujitsu. Yeah. You need carbs. Like jujitsu, my body type. <laughs> yeah, my brain fires a lot. I need carbs. So I hit a wall at about six weeks into the carnivore diet. Yeah, but all I had to do was add fruit. So actually, my eating right. pattern when I'm on lock and I'm really eating clean, my preferred eating method is what's called animal based, which is an okay. offshoot of carnivore diet. So primarily it's animal food, animal based foods, meat, eggs, bone marrow, you name it. Yep. And, and fruit. So you're getting the carbs and you're getting the animal products, hunter, gatherer. Uh, and that's been the best blend for me. That's when mm. I feel fantastic. Uh, we can go into that deeper in a minute, but back to the human origins yeah. and kind of my, I'm fasting, right? Uh, I believe, and a lot of other people believe, that humans were designed to hunt yeah. primarily because they were searching for the most calorie dense, calorie rich foods. Mm-hmm. If you had a try, if you lived in the northern hemisphere in Russia and it's cold all winter and you can't grow plants and you can't forage for berries and you can't peel, pick your potatoes, yep. you would look for the food that's going to feed the tribe as long as you can, and that's usually going to be. Well, I don't know, woolly mammoth, yeah, or whatever, yeah. reindeer, or cow, different cows, or buffalo, or yes. whatever ruminants. Usually, yep. more of the red meats, and those are the most calorie dense, in my opinion, the most nutrition food, nutritionist foods. Now, that's yeah, that's the, I was like, this is where you get that's into the, the arguments. Yeah, that's yeah. up for debate, but I'd be happy to talk about that at some point. <laughs> but anyway, you wouldn't, you wouldn't find, or maybe you would, but. You, 
it wouldn't make sense if humans were always just gathering because right. now you're spending as many calories going to find these berries, pick these berries, gather these berries, hike up to the mountain to get them. And by the time you return, you've already burned as many calories as you've put out, or you can feed everybody maybe for the day. Mm -hmm. And then you got to go do it all over again. Yeah. In survival modes. Yes. That's what you had to do. Yeah. But it's believed that humans were designed to eat primarily animal products as carnivores. Yeah. And the machinery in the, in the human body supports that as well. The small intestine is primar primarily, it's primary, excuse me, primarily designed to digest and absorb proteins. Okay. And the small intestine in humans is very, very long. Yeah. In animals that are designed to eat very fibrous foods, lots of grasses and leaves and mm -hmm. things, they have sometimes have four, five, six stomachs and a fermentation process. And they have different bacteria that are designed to break down the cellulose and the things that our machinery isn't really designed to, right. isn't really designed to break down as efficiently. Yeah. Does that mean humans didn't eat these or they don't have nutritional value? Not at all. But my personal belief is that humans primarily thrived on animals for the longest time mm -hmm. and fruit. Yeah. animals and fruit and that's what i'm that's what i'm exploring yeah i'm always exploring i that's, don't have the yeah. answers it's different for everybody i've done a lot of research i've done a lot of diets this one personally has been a whole nother level where i've obtained some responses that i really worked hard to do some fancy protocols and some fancy functional medicine and some fancy nutrition stuff and that i wasn't able to obtain on any other way of eating so yeah. right now if i can do meat and fruit i feel fantastic Am I strict on that all the time? No, oh, yeah. no, not all the time. Um, but I do believe that humans would eat and they would feast and then they would go yeah, a day, fast, yeah. two days, three days, a week before the next big kill. Right. And then there was probably some time and likely when they did have food, they probably weren't eating every, you know, they probably weren't eating every couple hours like we're eating. No. They didn't have an abundance of food available. And you can't preserve it. It's you, like, well, for, the for the most part. For the most for part. For the most part. For exactly. Most part. Uh, so, I'm a big advocate for, for meat. And maybe at another time we can we can go into that. Yeah. No, I, how, what do you think about uh, dairy? Dairy's, dairy's, man, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. Too much, I think, is not a good thing. I think some people absolutely got to stay away from dairy. Right. Some people, it wrecks. It wrecks them. Oh, of so course. And you see dairy. like the lactose intolerant people. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Blatantly, you need to stay away from it. What's interesting is for myself and what I've seen in other clients is that I've seen a dairy sensitivity resolve when people eliminated nuts and seeds, leafy greens, and wheat, or grains. Huh. So was it their body actually... Could their body actually not handle the dairy or was the body not able to handle the dairy because it was so stressed out from these other from foods these others, that were yeah. wreaking havoc on the, on the system that's designed to utilize this? Right. Dairy is a tough one though. I know that a lot of the processes aren't, aren't clean, but, yeah. but I personally, if I do a little dairy, I feel, I feel just fine. If I'm putting cream, Same. if I'm putting cream in my coffee every day, two, three weeks down the road, I, <clears throat> my energy levels drop and I start to feel almost depressive. Really? So then I, I cut out the dairy, and 24, 48 hours later, I feel my energy levels come right back up. So my personal, my personal pattern is 
I do just fine with a little bit of dairy, but if I keep piling it in, keep piling it in, my body's like, nah. Yeah. Nah. Oh, that's interesting. So I believe I believe that fasting is is fantastic. I think we're eating way too much and we're eating way too often. Our blood sugar, yeah. for the most part, I'm speaking in general terms in America, but our blood sugar is constantly up, constantly down, constantly up, which can cause all types of issues. Yeah. Our gut is constantly trying to digest foods that maybe it doesn't want to and also that constant friction through the through the colon has been shown to be a part of the processes that can lead to colon cancer mm. you know that's that's one of my assignments i just studied in, in my master's program last month yeah you know and it's just from that friction that constant movement of always being right moving 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 and never getting a rest never getting time to relax and rest Right. So leaky gut is a huge topic, right? A lot. I'm Very sure big, your listeners yeah. are aware of leaky gut. Yeah. If if the gut lining that's getting stretched and inflamed and causing this opening that allows the, the proteins, food particles to get through and into the blood, if that never gets a, a chance to just chill out mm-hmm. and relax, if you have a scab, an open wound, and you're constantly, constantly moving yeah. it, and you're constantly moving it, and every four hours, every six hours, you're moving it, it's going to take a long time to heal. Right. And I'm not talking only while you're awake. You know, we're, yeah. some of this stuff if we're, is moving at night. Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of digestions happen yeah. at night. Yeah. So, so personally, I'm a big advocate for intermittent fasting in the sense of eating in meal windows. So mm-hmm. feeding times, basically. I like two meals a day. Yeah. So I eat. Sometimes I'll mix it up. Sometimes it'll be morning. Sometimes it'll be dinner. Sometimes it'll be lunch and dinner. Yeah. But um, two meal times and don't snack in between. Yeah. That's one of my biggest pieces of advice for, for most of my clients is that if you just establish the, the boundaries and say that you feed yourself at this time, you feel, feed yourself at this time, and you don't consume calories in between, mm-hmm. again, the hormones are eventually going to match up. You'll feel much more satiated, right. and you're giving your body an opportunity to rest without feeling miserable. Right. And at least my experience with fasting as well is I, I noticed a whole new level of mental clarity and energy That's the, yeah. when I was in that fasted state, usually in the morning. Otherwise, I was sluggish, I was tired, I was distracted, but letting my body get into that fasted state, it really was a, a game changer for yeah. me. Yeah. I, and I think one of the big arguments, too, of uh, eating frequently throughout the day is it boosts, it keeps your metabolism going. And but so does fasting. I've heard opposite. What part, what part, what part of the metabolism? Clarify that for me. So if we're if we're boosting human growth hormone production and, mm-hmm. and um, human growth hormone production will will stay at that. That's a very a very anabolic substance, right? Yeah. So when we we talk about metabolism, what you know are we talking about cellular mm. metabolism and bio, right. biochemically producing more ATP, or are we talking about it keeps the machinery firing, so now we burn more calories. Because if we're talking calories in, calories out, that, no. that's been no, yeah, that's yeah. And again, like, and I'm thinking back to the conversation with Jay. Yeah, um, we talk a lot about the whole calories in, calories out, and yeah. he hates it. Yeah. Like he's like, that's bullshit. Because um, he's like, I've a lot of his clients. He's upped the intake of food, intake yeah. of calories, and now yeah. they, and now they're losing weight. Same, same. So yeah, it's it's more about the the quality and what you're putting in versus the uh, actual calories, which 
Yeah, I mean. So when we talk about metabolism, are we talking about? Like, yeah, and that's. Are we talking about like fat burning? Yeah, and so I guess that that is a good point because maybe I, maybe this is a good time to educate me on what types of metabolism there are because I don't fully yeah. maybe okay understand that. So, so educate me. So there's there are there are many types of metabolism. Yeah. Um. So back to the human body as a machine, right? Right. There are different parts of the machine systems, right? Different yep. systems. One of the systems that we look at in functional medicine is energy metabolism. Okay. So I guess the name energy metabolism is, metabolism is a part of that. And that's the body's ability to produce energy, energy yeah. units. ATP is like, is like a, a token that starts a process. You can, I filled my tires with air today, right? I have to throw quarters in the machine and then the, the air starts pumping. Mm-hmm. ATP is the quarters in the machine that yep. gets things running and gets things operating, which yes, has a correlation to anabolism or building muscle, building tissues, and catabolism, or deteriorating those tissues. Right. So I would I would have to talk here specifically of what type of metabolism they're talking yeah. about. If they're talking about anabolism or fat burning, or if they're if he's talking more about strictly the body's ability to produce energy, which primarily a lot of that's happening in our liver. Our yeah. liver is responsible for a lot of those processes. Okay. And the liver is a digestive organ. Yeah. So if we're constantly pumping, 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 working working our liver and we like to drink, so we drink at night. And then we like sugar, so we're eating sugar and we're pumping, 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 pumping. Mm -hmm. And we never let that liver deplete its glycogen and cool off, just like the gut. If you overwork something too long, it's going to get stressed. But if it gets too stressed out, we're going to start to see glitches in the system. Imbalances, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I'm not. I'm in no way saying that eating smaller, smaller meals is, yeah. is not capable of doing that. I am totally open to hearing the, yeah. the perspective. I'm just. I. I guess I just like a little more clarity of. Are we talking anabolism or energy metabolism? Right. Or what we're and like I said, I'm not. I'm not smart enough <laughs> for this You're conversation. Smart enough, you just haven't. I just. Uh, yeah. You haven't I haven't. It as yeah. Much. I haven't studied this as much, so that's why I like these conversations because I want to educate myself more about it. I want to learn. Um, but like, if you and Jay had a conversation, yeah. I would love to sit in It'd on that. I would love fantastic. to facilitate that because yeah. Let's so maybe maybe we'll have to have to get both of you guys on. Yeah. But um, no, it's like I said, it's it's fascinating to me. I've been fascinated by this. My roommate in college is the one who kind of introduced this whole idea of fasting to me. Yeah. And I thought he was a fucking madman because yeah. I'm like seeing him not eating for multiple hours. I'm like, dude, yeah. dude you're stupid. Like I, I love my breakfast and yeah. everything Then I tried it. And like I said, it just, I, it started to work for me. It started to get a little more cut, which I wanted at the time. And it's just felt energetically. So your a little metabolism bit was ramped up. Well, or so, what, what or what, calling, yeah, or, or yeah, metabolism. I guess mine too. And so why is that? So yeah, I guess that is. If I'm eating two meals a day, you're eating one meal a day, and I'm sure I've eaten one meal a day for times, and I got I got cut as well. Yeah, maybe that's. I know. Maybe that's some of our genetic predisposition. Maybe that's very active. It's possible. Yeah, but I yeah I don't I don't know I don't know, and this is this is why I'd like to sit in on a conversation of of smarter people that go and talk about this because I don't have the answers. I can just tell you what I've experienced. Like, what I do now, what I've really been enjoying 
is my breakfast of doing. I love bone broth. Me too. So I I do a bone Super broth. Food. It is. It's it beef organic grass fed yeah. bone broth is amazing. So I do that, and I I add my herbs to it as well. I do turmeric, uh, black pepper, ashwagandha, apple cider vinegar, and then I have a decoction of ginger or not ginger. Um, Dandelion root and sarsaparilla root. Yeah. I have a decoction, so I, I add like some of that into it. And it's this full, beautiful Whoa. tonic that I drink every morning. Awesome. Yeah. It, it makes me feel good. I, I'm i all about it. So it's a, it's a nice way to start the day. I do that with usually a piece of fruit, whether it's... Um, sorry. Yeah, I usually do a piece of fruit uh, of probably like some citrus. And yeah. then if I have eggs couple eggs yeah call it a day maybe some avocado call it a bone day bone broth is beautiful because it's it's warm so that's good in yeah. the morning and it's it's a fast filling clean mm-hmm. meal it's so clean yeah and, and just so, so i feel great yeah i feel same. great with it so my I, my biggest chance and I, an ideal day for me is like that's that's kind of the morning or that's my my fast breaking type meal nice and then i usually have like a smaller type lunch, which is kind of just like some fruits and vegetables. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Just like yeah. fruits, vegetables, maybe maybe some like dips that are not any poofas or anything like yeah. that. Like some, some homemade dips if possible. And then uh, dinners where I like, I like to have like big, Same. bigger meals where it's Same. like after, po- and especially because I go to jujitsu a little hungry because like those two meals, not very are not very satiating like yeah. they're they're good they keep me going and i feel good but then i go to jiu-jitsu i'm a little hungry jiu-jitsu yeah. makes me super hungry then i come back and i make like a one big pot of like ground beef uh brussels sprouts sweet potatoes and just like a whole bunch nice. bunch of mixes of that stuff with some feta cheese put in some tacos and then or put in some and tortillas feast. and feast and then famine until and then tomorrow. i yeah it feels <laughs> it, that's like when I think of like energetically what makes me feel great, yeah, it's that superfoods. It's like the it's all that stuff. Now again, like you said, I'm not yeah. strict about it. And like when I run out of the, those foods, it sucks because I'm not great at going to the grocery store. Yeah. So then I just kind of like ration like what do I have here? Oh, yeah. Like I just and then or if like I'm working, I eat out and then eating out. Well, and we're all terrible. human too. And that I'm yeah. I am no sensei or master <laughs> right. on, on yeah, yeah. perfect diet. But what I do try to do is I try to I try to stick to kind of that 80-20 rule. So for me, I work Monday through Friday, and and my work is fairly fast-paced. I'm seeing different people going, going, going. Right. And so I see my Monday through Friday, my work week, as like, this is my zone. Like, I need to be primed and ready, and I need to be driving the Ferrari during this time. So during that the week, I'm making sure that I'm eating really clean. I'm doing my, my intermittent fasting, and I'm not... I'm not overeating as well, right? And then that leaves me the freedom on weekends Mm -hmm. or celebrations or time. Because I think there's a huge component to celebrating and and enjoying food together. Um, Dude, the the social aspect of food, I... There is, there is, there is the share... Breaking a meal or breaking a fast like with someone or like just not even breaking a fast, just sharing bread with someone like the, the, that term just... Breaking, kind of, kind of breaking bread back, with someone kind of it's, comes back to the um, the the tea as a ceremony type of thing, right? And that's so, that's what I do too. Is I that's why I love tea. Is it's 
having the that it's kind of doing that, but a also commu- keeping a communal experience. It's a communal experience, and also thinking from like a health kind of from a health perspective. You're not snacking. You're not doing exactly. any of that stuff. You're just enjoying like a nice cup of tea. And that's that is my snack. If I'm like get like a craving for a snack, I go make myself a pot of tea. Absolutely. And then I drink that for the day. Absolutely. And so it's like that's... But yes, the, so the whole back to the 80-20. Personally, yeah. I like to... That helps keep things sustainable for me. Right. It works with some of my clients. It works. It doesn't work for some people. But at least then I know that no matter what happens on the weekend when I'm with my family or I'm with friends, I know that Monday morning it's time to snap back into the zone. And why do I do that? Because, I, again, I work with people. I work in healthcare. I want to I wanna be the best version. That shouldn't even matter. I just want to be the best, no, yeah. most optimal version of myself when I'm in that zone where I'm working. Right. And so another thing I like about the two meal a day intermittent fasting style is I stock up on my fuel in the morning before I go to work and now I can work my whole work day without taking a lunch break yep. and that frees up a couple hours in my week which is a couple hours in the month which means mm-hmm. more people that I can see and I can keep things moving that doesn't work for everybody but for me it's been it's been fantastic I'm yeah. not buying I'm not buying food every day when I go out for lunch it's just I agree. Simple, and when I'm in the zone, I'm in the zone, and when I'm out of the zone, I'm out of the zone, uh, and that really works for me. But again, that doesn't work for everybody. But just another another piece that helps my baseline stay a little a little more productive, or a little healthier, I guess I should say, keep my baseline healthier. So when I deviate from that and I eat all the foods that I know I'm not supposed to eat, yep. then I know I have my baseline to come back to. I, like I think that. The, the problem if we get too strict is that. And again, different personality types do better. Some people are all or nothing, and that works for them. I'm not that type. Same. And so this helps me keep things sustainable so that it doesn't get to be drudgery or I don't have to explain every time I'm I'm with my family why now this time around I'm only eating meat. When last time you saw me, I was only eating fruit. And (laughs) the time before, you know, two Christmases ago, I was vegan. And you know what I mean? So it's just I save those experiences, enjoy life celebrate mm-hmm. but i think everybody should have a should at least be aware of what their baseline is you should be able to stop anyone on the street and, and say of course i'm a nerd about this stuff so i think everyone should have this but you should be able to ask somebody what's your what's your baseline eating eating pattern you know what is yeah when you feel like you're eating right what does that look like yes and when are you doing that yeah well i went on a diet at this one time and then i did it's like well set your baseline find what works best for you and then mm-hmm. just when you deviate from that fine move on come back to it and carry on yeah i think that's beautiful and that's a that's that that's perfect honestly for for this um anything else we probably we, should wrap it up for you huh? that was good where are we at that was good we i like that tim? well tim where can people find you yes like, yeah, so get, plug yourself the best the blessed place to check out what i'm doing is at axon-movement.com a-x-o-n hyphen m-o D-E-M-E-N-T.com. That's my website. Uh, and then you can check me out on Instagram at axon underscore MVMT. And that's it. That's the handle. And that's it. Uh, and what, do you, you know, what kind of services you, you offer? Yeah. So as we touched on a little bit, I'm an alternative healthcare practitioner that works with complex health ailments. Typically, it's chronic pain, but I also do a lot of work with people who are, are dealing with uh, autoimmunity and different type of issues that have just kind of been left unsolved. So if you've been through the ringer and you have these repetitive patterns that we've talked about where you get a little help, you get a little relief, it comes back, you get a little help, you get a little re- relief, it comes back. 
and you're stuck with answers, that's where I come into play. And that's the type of work I do is really working on cracking some of these unorthodox cases or cases that are a little bit, a little bit difficult to solve. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you to Tim for that powerful conversation. Remember to check out his work on Instagram at axon underscore movement. That's A-X-O-N underscore M-V-M-T or at his website, axon-movement.com. That's A-X-O-N-movement.com. Thanks for tuning in today. As always, if you enjoyed the show, hit us with a five-star review and a comment. That truly brightens my day and spirits. Check out our work at freshsteeps.com or on social media at Fresh Steeps and have a beautiful day.